Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Eat Local New York podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale, and this week's episode, my guest is Chef Dan Hudson. Well, I was thrilled to have Dan down on to the podcast. I've been trying to connect with him now for more than a few months, and finally, we were able to make the time to come down to the studio, be on the podcast, and uh, I'm just thrilled that he was. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Dan and his career in uh, here in Syracuse and in Central New York, and so, yeah, just I was very thrilled to be able to talk with him. Um, it's a really long episode. This is our longest podcast we've ever recorded, and I think a big part of it is the new set that we have here at the studio um, if you don't subscribe to our YouTube channel, head over there and subscribe and you'll be able to see the video of, of what we do here at the, uh, eat local New York office. But now we've got our studio split into kind of half and, um, we're getting ready for some new content that we're going to be start putting out some new shows that hopefully we'll be announcing in the next month or so. Um, but yeah, so we have a new set here for the podcast instead of sitting at the old desk, we're now sitting at on a couch uh, and uh, me across the coffee table that we made out of butcher block and some industrial pipe. I'm sitting in a chair and just more relaxed. And I've noticed that each of the last three episodes we've recorded in this set that they've gone from one was the longest we had done. The second one with Kyle from Kasai Rama was the longest we had ever done. Now this third one with Dan Hudson is over two hours and is without a doubt the longest episode that we've ever recorded. Um, Yeah. I hope you enjoy it. I hope they're not too incredibly long. You know, I listen to the Joe Rogan podcast a lot, and, you know, I've just, I, it take, sometimes it takes me a couple of days because I listen to it when I'm in the car or when I'm getting ready in the morning. But, you know, those episodes are three and four hours long sometimes. And uh, I just absolutely love them. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dan, uh, and hopefully it's not too long for you. Well, I am actually, I'm recording this intro on the, my, my day after quarantine. Uh, unfortunately, uh, about two weeks ago, a um, little under two weeks ago, my wife and I both tested positive for COVID-19. Um, we're pretty confident of where I got it, and then I brought it home and gave it to her. Um, but I have to say, having experienced COVID-19, not only A, do I feel extremely blessed that both my wife and I um, did not experience any fatal symptoms, Um uh, we both struggled with having really bad flu-like symptoms for a couple of days and then started to get better. But really, you know, the majority of our time with COVID-19, we felt more exhausted and winded than anything. Um, even just walking up the stairs and I would have to, especially in the early days, stop to catch my breath. I would be tired. I'd take a nap if I had gone downstairs. We tried to separate as much as we could, even though we both had it. Um, and... Uh, so either I would stay upstairs or she would stay upstairs and I would stay downstairs. And, um, I noticed even if I had to like go down to the kitchen and get water and then go back upstairs, I would then take a nap for like 30 minutes. It was just, it really is a, a terrible virus. Um, and obviously we know the percentages and, you know, especially if you listen to my podcast with Kyle from Kasai Raman, um, I was, uh, I, you know, I said it then that COVID is a very serious and dangerous thing, but maybe it was perceived as I was taking light of, of what COVID is. And I think maybe even I was, um, because I know a lot of people who have had it who, well, I don't know of, I know of one person who's unfortunately passed away, uh, from COVID that I knew. And, um, 
a hundred other people that I know that were fine, that experienced pretty much the same thing that I did. And even with that in mind, I mean, take out of the equation um, the tens of thousands of people that have died from this disease, more than that, hundreds of thousands of people have, di- have died from this disease. Take that out of the equation just for a moment. Uh, just the the symptoms, the basic symptoms that everybody is experiencing or the majority of people are experiencing, that is still awful. It's not deadly. Um, uh, I mean, it can be, obviously. But um, those symptoms, it's not like you were on the verge of death. We weren't on the verge of death. Uh, and thank God that we made it through. But it was still pretty awful. And, you know, honestly, I don't, you know, you don't know going into it when you get it. Uh, how you're going to react to it. I don't know how my body is going to respond to it. I'm an out of shape person who very who does very little, if any, exercise and who eats bad. Um, granted, I don't smoke and I don't drink and I don't do drugs, but I still don't take care of my body. But I have no idea how I'm going to how my body is going to respond when I got it. And when, when I first started feeling ill and knew that I was exposed to it, I was pretty scared. Um, and yeah, it's a very, 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 um, well, it's just a bad thing to have. Uh, I don't wish it upon anybody. Uh, I lost my sense of taste and smell there for a few days, um, and then it started to slowly come back once I started to take some zinc. It's still not fully back, um, which I'm kind of grateful for because there's certain things, like I had a glass of Diet Coke and it made me sick to my stomach. Um, so there's certain things that I'm like, all right, great. I, maybe I don't want to drink or eat those things anymore. Um, because they weren't good for me like diet Coke. Uh, but yeah, COVID-19 is, is pretty awful. And so, uh, I say all this to say, uh, and I'm, I don't have yet to meet someone except for one or two strangers that I've seen in public. I have yet to meet someone who truly is saying, don't wear a mask and da, 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 da. But I would just still advise wear a mask Carry around a little bottle of hand sanitizer. Sanitize your hands whenever you can. Keep a distance. One thing I will say, and I felt terrible about this, and thank God they didn't test positive, but before I knew that I was sick, before I was showing symptoms, I had gone out to do a photo shoot at a restaurant one evening, and the three people that run the restaurant were there in that meeting, all three of them. Now, granted, I wore a mask the whole time, and we kept a distance, but still, all three of the people in that run the restaurant were in that meeting and thank God that they didn't test positive that they all three tested negative for it. Um, after I contacted them once I had realized that I was sick. Um, but I guess my advice is this, if, if you're in a similar situation, uh, maybe don't everyone in the restaurant that's running it, <laughs> go to a meeting, you know, in other words, play it safe. Maybe one of you goes to the meeting. Maybe one of you has whatever it is, you know, uh, because that way, if if somebody is exposed, it's not the entire place because place has to get has to get shut down. Because when I contacted the restaurant owner the the day that I knew that I tested positive, um, they were in a they were already struggling, already in a bad position. This is before Orange Zone had switched over, and they were thinking to themselves like, "Great, so we may have to shut down for two weeks if we get this." Um, and so that was just enough, you know, really just to, I mean, that was, uh, I, I felt terrible having to call people and say, uh, you may have been exposed. Um, so anyways, my advice is just take it seriously, wear a mask, carry around hand sanitizer, uh, 
Uh, be smart about who you're meeting and how close you're getting to them and all that kind of stuff. Keep your social di- social distance. And that's it. Soapbox rant is over. Well, without further ado, here is my conversation with Chef Dan Hudson. Uh, Beetle's got a lot of um, a lot of potential. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a, it's an interesting between you know Mohegan Manor. Angry Garlic, what they're doing at Angry Garlic is great. I mean, I think I that that's probably the best restaurant in Baldwinsville right yeah. now. Um, and yeah. I, I like what they do there. Um, man, they got, it ended up not affecting them, but they really did get the short end of the stick on the COVID thing because they were like one of the first restaurants that had a restaurant person test positive for oh, COVID. Oh, really? You know, right when things could reopen and, uh, mm. You know, they did well with it. They closed down, they cleaned, they did everything yeah. that they were supposed that's to right, do. I remember that. And it's kind of funny because that's become like, a, it's not even newsworthy now. Yeah. At the time, it was just this. Stop the press. This holy, holy crap, yeah. you know, like somebody has COVID and it's, it's now it's, I mean, I bet there's a restaurant every single day that has a, a you know, a, a positive yeah. person or contact or whatever, and just nobody cares. Um, I was telling Kyle uh, from Kasai was uh, down last night, and we did an episode, and um, I was telling him, we were talking a lot about, because he's very much against the shut down, like the orange zone restrictions. Yeah, I mean, everybody downtown's really getting a raw deal on that yeah. because it, what do you, you drive 10 minutes and eat, sit down right. and eat, but you can't, you know, the Marriott, I mean, same thing. It just, it, yeah. it ruined what we had that was starting to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I, I'm not opposed to shutdowns. I'm not opposed to keeping people safe and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. when you really look at what's happening, right. it's, it's, it's not helping anything. Yeah. And it's super unfair to the businesses that happen to fall into that. Right. Um, and then you go the, to the mall and the right. whole, the every, you know, the restaurants in the mall can't be open, but the food court can be. Right. And like, how is that not dining indoors? Yeah. Right. You know, it, it's ridiculous. The reasons for it too. I mean, for why like the urban areas, Rochester, Buffalo, Syracuse, I believe Albany is, but I don't know for sure. Obviously New York city is, but why these, well, we'll take New York city out of the equation. Why Syracuse is shut down and downtown Syracuse when it has, you know, what, 5,000, like less than 5,000 residents that live down there. Um, I'd imagine those aren't the ones, the downtown residents aren't the, aren't like the strong majority of the people that are in the hospital that are in located no. in downtown. Yeah, Syracuse. exactly. I mean, if those hospital, the, the reason they're orange is because the hospitals are right in downtown Syracuse, upstate St. Joe's Kraus, all of them are right there. Right. Um, and why, and Kyle made a, you know, classic Facebook post on his personal page the day he found out he was orange zone and he got a call while he's in target standing in line with 15 people in every line in target. Um, you know, uh, yeah, cards I mean, aren't sanitized. People aren't maintaining six feet distance and why that's allowed to still stay open and exist. Uh, when restaurants have to shut down when there's less, um, you know, less of an exposure rate, uh, or, you know, right. Yeah. Um, in these restaurants, I was telling him the story. Uh, I can't tell, say their names, but person A and person B are good friends. Um, haven't seen each other in like a month. They decide to go out to dinner one night. So person B drives to person A's house. They hang out for a little bit. 
They both get in person A's car, drive to the restaurant in uh, North Syracuse that's having a half-off sale on Wednesday night uh, that's crammed, slammed with business. Uh, there's a 45-minute wait that's so busy. Um, so they have to sit in person A's car together for 45 minutes while they have to wait while they wait for the table. They go in, they sit down across from each other, eat, masks off, right, because they're sitting down and eating, uh, have dinner, drive back to person A's house, hang out for a little bit, person B goes home, uh, two day or a day later or two days later, person A gets a test for COVID for their job and test positive. And then all right. of a sudden start showing signs. Uh, is, know, that the re- is that the restaurant's fault? Is right. that, you know, like that's no, exactly. you know. Um, and, but no, the person, but the kicker is person B tested positive, tested positive, or I'm sorry, person B has tested for COVID twice now since then over the course of five days and has tested negative both times. Right. So, like they were in a car hanging out together, sitting across from each other, masks off, and person B still didn't get it, and yet restaurants have to shut down because of the infection rate. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I've um, you know, spent a lot of time in in tattoo parlors and piercing shops and you know places like that, and yeah. uh, um, you know, there's they fall into uh, the personal care. Mm-hmm. Um, and the state went back on that and said, you know, cause, because enough, you know, it's, it's hairdressers, it's massage therapists, it's, you know, tattoo parlors. There's a lot of personal care services yeah. and they went back and said, listen, there's no, we're shut down for no reason. Mm-hmm. There's been zero in the state that, you know, have been contact traced to our services. And so they got to reopen, even though they're in the orange zone, which I'm hoping that they can do something like that with restaurants where they can say, Hey, if you're taking the right precautions or whatever, yeah. You can you can you know continue to to run your business because it's difficult. The problem with the orange zone is, and the problem with the city of Syracuse is the perception. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well, number one, the perception of you know, oh, we're in the city. There's you know, there's these hospitals with people that are positive. Um, there's high positivity rate, which really just means that. You know, like you said, there's only 5,000 people living in the city of Syracuse right. in that area. It, the positivity rate is it really reflects, in my opinion, the you know that those people really only have access to getting tested if they're symptomatic, right? Uh, you know, where if you if you're somewhere where your job requires it, or if you're in the hospitality industry and you can get tested, but you don't know very not not 100 percent of the people that live in Syracuse, work in Syracuse. And, yeah. and, you know, a lot of people come from out to myself, you know, I'll tell recently at the hotel, right. You know, half the people that I work with didn't live in the city. Yeah. Um, so even if I had, you know, which I haven't tested positive been tested a few times, but, um, you know, if I had, and I was downtown, it's not a real reflection yeah. of what's going on downtown. The bigger problem, in my opinion, with, with downtown Syracuse is, you know, at least for the Marriott, you know, a lot of our business was was generated through the things that happen in the city, mm-hmm. sporting events, you know, crunch games, football games, basketball games, um, theater, the 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 Syracuse city of Syracuse events themselves. Yeah. And without those things going on, you're not driving people downtown. Right. You know, people aren't coming downtown. Um, and then you know, also 
with a lot of the places, the equitable building, formerly the exit building, you know, they're 20% occupancy mm. right now. You know, there's not a lot of people that are actually working. A lot of those people work from home. Wow. Holy cow. Um, That's a lot of people in that building. Right. And there's, so there's not a lot of people in that building. Wow. It's really, it, you know, uh, right across the street from, from the hotel is the, um, tech garden. They're 90% from home. Um, Jeez. And and so there goes your lunch business, right? Yeah. So now you're relying on what people traveling to and from the area where the Marriott's been pretty lucky because they've been able to, you know, retain a lot of that traveling business. But they're, they're people that are either they're in and out, you know, they're there for a day and then they're leaving yeah. or they don't. It, it's not enough to sustain everyone. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, we got we have guest rooms. Great. Or we, you know. Right. But is somebody going to stay there for four days? They're going to eat eight meals yeah. at your restaurant? Right. And what does that do for everybody else? Especially because 11 Waters hasn't opened up since quarantine, right? No. So 11 Waters has been closed since March 14th, um, the parade day. Wow. Uh, I think parade day was the last day that it was open. That's nuts. Um, and, <clears throat> you know it's for a hotel like that, it's not justifiable to open a second right. place. Yeah. And it's, it's because they're in the orange zone as well. It's, it's, uh, it's to go food only. Yeah. Which means it's, uh, uh, room service pretty much only because who, yeah. again, who's going to call the hotel and say, yeah. Hey, I want to get this to go. And, it's a big, scary building, and yeah. you know there's not a lot of great parking around, so it's it's mm. it's not uh, conducive to getting that that to go business going. Where a lot of places, you know, that's kind of the 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 paradigm right now is you know there's some places that are doing really really bad, and then there's other places that are just doing really bad. Yeah, and it's all about <laughs> can you you know can you do to go business? Can you you know can you know, do you have a unique uh, product or are you in a neighborhood? Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of neighborhood places are, are, you know, what's doing really well right now. Yeah. I mean, the restaurant that we've probably eaten at the most, uh, maybe my wife who's going to listen to this eventually would argue with me, but maybe the most is a uh, change of pace because they're like around the corner from us. Right. Um, you know, before all of this started, we would, you know, that started to be, we were, we've never been like, go to the same bar every Friday night, but we were starting to get into like the habit of like going to change a pace and getting a bucket of beers and some wings. And it was great. You know? Right. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, there's a very few that I hear of that are doing well during this. Um, and, uh, and some of them, you know, aren't uh, well, I guess it depends on their business, but um, very few that I hear that are doing well during all of COVID from quarantine to today. I feel like restaurants, well, I know restaurants. I mean, I have clients that for the marketing side that were doing amazingly well during quarantine. Um, they were uh, down staff. It was just like themselves and maybe, you know, there's one restaurant. It was like the brother and sister were running it. Right. And there was one, maybe two cooks. It was all takeout. People had more money because they were, if they were on unemployment, they were getting the extra 600 bucks. Um, Nobody has anything to do. Right. So much know. was shut down back then. Um, now more stuff is open, so they have more stuff to go do. 
spend their money on. Uh, so in the early days of quarantine, I, a lot, you know, I shouldn't say a lot, but restaurants were still making good money. This restaurant in particular was making, was profiting more than they ever had in their 35 years of being open. Right. Today, not the case. They're not even in a zone right now and they're still making less than they were during quarantine. Right. And again, it's, it's, you know, how many places tried to reopen or are open now where in the beginning, a lot of places didn't jump right back on, you know, um, which, you know, leads, leads me to say, you know, what's the, what's the better decision? Is it better to hunker down, close your restaurant, wait for this to pan out? I mean, now that no, you can't do that for a year. Right. Um, in the beginning though, it was definitely an option for a lot of people. I mean, who thought we'd be here on January 1st talking about, you know, the same stuff. It's, yeah. it's, I know. you know, I thought it'd be long gone and, and, hmm. um, it's, it's scary. It's scary for the industry for a lot of reasons. I mean, I, there's, you know, I think a lot of places where it's already such a, a hard business to be in, why would you continue to do it? You know, you might love it, but if it doesn't make sense for, yeah. you know, your mental health or your, or your financial well-being why keep doing something if it's killing you yeah um and then you know the other side of it is how many good industry people are we going to lose you know because of this Mm -hmm. am i going to be one of those people right I, i don't know i mean i you know it's it's hard to think of doing something different but at this point does it make sense to continue with this you know, I'm a pretty smart guy. I'm I'm a hardworking guy. I've got a degree from SU. Anybody want to hire me? <laughs> uh, um, you know, but what's the to what end? I can cook at home. Yeah. You know. Right. Plus, for chefs, you know, I I was fortunate enough to work the until the beginning of December, mm-hmm. which you know, for everything that happened. Um, with everybody in the world, like the fact that I was able to, to stay employed that whole time is, is great. And I'll, I'll appreciate, you know, the, the Marriott downtown Syracuse forever for that because, you know, they didn't have to. And, and my employment there was kept out of, you know, the desire to retain me so that when things opened back up, you know, things would go well, but it got to a point where, you know, you have to start making even harder decisions. You've already made, you know, the vast majority of the hard decisions that you're going to make, but then it comes down to, all right, there's two of you, but there can only be one of you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately mm-hmm. for me, my counterpart, um, is a chef that's worked there since the open. Mm-hmm. And I, who, who would I be to say, right. I, I worked there for a, a year and two months and seven months of it was during the pandemic, you know, yeah. during COVID. Who would I be to say no? You should keep me. Right. This guy's worked there for four and a half, five years. Hmm. You got to keep him. Yeah. You have to. You know, and um, it's the only fair way to do it. So, hmm. you know, unfortunately, I'm I'm not there. But yeah. you know, there's. I think that I hope that there's a light on the other end of the tunnel. You know, yeah. we're getting closer to it. Well, yeah. Do you think? Uh, I mean, you've obviously thought about it. Do you think you would uh, getting out of the kitchen, out of the restaurant industry is something that would be like, I mean, well, for those listening who don't know, um, and I don't really know much of your history, except for the fact that you were at the Sherwin Inn for a decade, correct? Right. So (laughs) I, uh, 
started working in restaurants when I was a kid, um, washing dishes, that kind of jazz. Uh, worked at um, Phoebe's as a dishwasher my junior, senior year of high school. Phoebe's is owned by the people that own the Sherwood Inn. Yeah. Um, Dining Associates is the name of the, the company. Um, and uh, I went to SU uh, for hospitality management, did that whole thing. Thanks, Mom, for working there. Uh, um, and, you know, worked worked around the area at a lot of different places, but the majority of my career was working for Bill Eberhardt and Dining Associates, uh, Phoebe's, and then later on, you know, I left for a few years and I came back to the Sherwood as a sous chef. Um, and became the executive chef there within like, I don't know, like a year and a couple months. Okay. Um, and then I was the executive chef amongst a million other titles that I held within that company. This was a food and beverage director for the company for a while. Mm. Um, I left the Sherwood and went back to Phoebe's and was the executive chef at Phoebe's for a while. Oh, okay. Um, and I had a great relationship with them and I left on great terms with them. It was just time for me to, you know, yeah. Uh, to move on, do something else, get, get some other experience. Um, were you in Phoebe's right before you went to the hotel? I was at the Sherwood right before okay. I went to the hotel. Yeah. Okay. So Phoebe's was like the middle of my career at the Sherwood. Like I was okay. the executive chef there. I left to go run Phoebe's for about a year. And then I ended up coming back to the Sherwood. Um, okay. it's a bigger place. There's, there's more growth potential, more exposure. Um, it's kind of the flagship of that group. And they own a lot. I mean, if, I mean, I d- I never knew that they had as much, but they have Phoebe, Sherwood, Blue Water, Gildas. Yep. Is there anything else? Uh, they last year they acquired Mid Lakes Navigation as well. Oh, really? Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and and we had been doing the food for Mid Lakes Navigation for like three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I put that whole program together there. Wow. Um, the Wiles family are great people, and but they're ready to retire from it, and yeah. uh, it sucks. It, you know it. For for Mr. Eberhardt, it really it's really hard because, you know, he was a partner in, you know, in a lot of these things. And last year, he kind of acquired all of them, hmm. and then you know all this stuff happens, and he's got it all on his plate, which, you know, might be good, might be bad, depending on yeah. you know how you look at it. At least there's one guy making choices and right. decisions on what you're going to do, and not having to consult with every other partner you have. Yeah. Um, hmm. But as far as me leaving the industry, I mean, right now I'm up for anything. I, I don't want to leave. Um, but the industry sucks, right now. but the industry sucks right now. So it's like, you know, if I, if I got an offer doing something else, but you know, there's another part of me that spent the, you know, I spent my whole life working every holiday, every weekend, every night, um, you know, 50 to 70 hours a week. And then you come to this and all of a sudden you're working a pretty set schedule, 40 hours a week holidays kind of become irrelevant yeah you know really quickly like nobody you know it doesn't matter if it's if you're working on thanksgiving because what are you going to do on thanksgiving anyways mm-hmm. um mm. you know so it, it's strange because i got shown kind of a a what the rest of the world does works 40 hours <laughs> a week and and i like it you yeah. know like i i like having some time to myself i like being able to do things that i want to do finding new hobbies you know, chefs really define a lot of chefs, myself, and, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong in this or crazy to think, but you know, what do you think of when you think of me? Well, I th- how do I describe myself to people? Well, I'm a chef. That's like the first thing that comes out of my mouth. A lot of industries don't, aren't like that. Yeah. You know, a guys, a, 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 you know, accountant somewhere like describe yourself. The first thing isn't I'm an accountant at 
X location. But right. for me, it's like I'm the executive chef of, yeah. you know, wherever I'm at. Um, so I think stepping away from cooking mm-hmm. might be in my future and maybe away from, you know, the, the operations of restaurants, but I, you know, I'll always be connected to the food service and, yeah. and restaurants in some way. I, I don't, I don't see myself, you know, swinging a hammer on a construction site or, or, you know, managing a apartment complex or something like yeah. that. But again, if, if it's available now, Hey, I'm, I'm game that this year was all about change. So yeah. it's <laughs> might as well keep it rolling, you know, kind of depends on what, what happens. Yeah. It's a, it, listen, I mean, I mean, you know, this better than anybody else. It's a really, it's beyond tough to say that the food service industry especially inside of a restaurant to say that it's a tough industry is like just a little dumb because it's, it really is everything. I mean, it's, it's not just a job. It's not something you can really clock in and clock out of, but it takes up your entire life. I mean, during, I've said this story a couple of times, but during quarantine, we were like at home making, like I was trying to make really great pizza at the house. And I would post pictures on my Instagram and Facebook all the time. And we had this family friend who would always say, this looks amazing. You've got to open a restaurant. You've got to open, like every time I would post, she would say, you've got to open a restaurant. And a lot of times I would delete the comments because I found them to be like kind of a borderline offensive and stupid, um, stupid because people don't really understand what it takes to make great food. Um, but I also, one I was thinking about it one day as I was driving around and I, I, wanted to comment back and say that is the worst thing that you could wish someone to do. Like, yeah, I want to yeah. wish my worst enemy to own a restaurant one day. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's funny because it's, you got to love it, you know, um, and you got to be a little bit crazy, but there's also, a, like I said, there's this identity crisis with people. It's like, I don't know what else I would do, mm-hmm. even though it's, I mean, and then, you know, you get to an age and you've done this for such a long time. I've never not worked in a kitchen. Yeah. I've, you know, my whole life, I've never had a job outside of a restaurant, hmm. um, which is not as rare as you would think right. for, for, you know, high end executive chefs and, you know, people in, you know, in management positions in restaurants, especially people that have done fine dining. That's all they've ever done. So when you say, oh, it's really hard. Like I'm, I, I don't even know how other people make money. Yeah. Like I can't fathom going to an office and like somebody pays you for this? Really? Why? What are you doing? It doesn't seem like you're doing anything, you yeah. know? Um so it's hard, but when it's all you know, yeah, it's it's hard to imagine kind of the other side. It's funny, yesterday, um, you know, being New Year's Eve, I went to a grocery store yesterday. <sighs> I shop at midnight, you know, <laughs> generally, like I don't go and I'm never going to go into a grocery store on a holiday. I didn't even think about it. And like you said, Wegmans, <laughs> I mean, there must've been a thousand people in Wegmans yeah. and that's disheartening because of what's going on in the restaurant industry, but also a little scary because I don't want to be around people like that. Yeah. Um, although, you know, you're masked up and you're right. ramming people with your cart to keep them away <laughs> from you. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely it's. I used to work at uh, Metro Mattress. I did worked for them uh, twice, two different times for like a total of ten years. And it's retail hours, so it's like you're working. Um, There's more than a few days. It was like you know of the week. It was like twelve hour days, but you were working weekends. You had three. You had like 
Christmas, Thanksgiving, and Easter off, and that was it. You know, any like July, Fourth of July, all that kind of stuff. It was like big sales. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All that kind of shit. Um, and so my weekends were like Wednesday and Thursday, let's say. And a lot of my friends who like that I worked with there that then left and went on to different careers, they would say the one of the things that they missed the most was having their weekend be during the week because. When you're off on like a Saturday, Sunday, and you're going to the grocery store. Well, you're fighting with everyone. Right, exactly. (laughs) But when you're there at like 2 p.m. on a Tuesday, there's nobody there. Right. Yeah. Um, It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a different lifestyle for sure. Yeah, it's it's just not an easy industry. I worked, uh, I don't really, U.S. passes what? Yeah, something something non no no one listening to this is going to benefit from is what the U.S. just passed. Don't worry about it, folks. Well, there's that, but it, yeah, yeah. The stimulus money is. My wife and I were talking about this last night, um, and uh, you know, in one way, like you know, there's new. There's going to be another payroll protection program that's released. Um, stimulus checks have gone out for six hundred dollars, right, to a lot of people. Um, in a way that's it's good i guess but overall um i think it's going to be i think it's like terrible for america uh especially long term yeah you know um and and you know not for nothing but and maybe this is from a point of privilege i don't know but what's 600 dollars going to do for anybody yeah you know and i and i i think like that's pretty on par with yeah. the reality i mean i don't think there's too many people that Hey, listen, I, I, I'll take it just as much as the next guy. If you're right. handing it out, I'm going to take it. But it doesn't, it prolongs the inevitable by a, a week. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, Kyle and I were talking about this last night when on the podcast and, um, and I have a tendency to talk about the same thing for about six or seven episodes in a row. So, uh, here we go. But, um, you know, I, w- I was asking people, uh, and I have to always preface this with by saying, I know dick about dick. Like, I don't know anything about anything. I am a moron. Right. I know a few things about my little circle, and that's it. Right, right. Uh, so having said that, uh, I was asking, I remember asking restaurant people, uh, you know, two years ago on the podcast when I would interview them, one of my last questions I would ask them is, are you guys getting ready? Like, are you guys planning at all financially for a recession? And, you know. How? Yeah. What? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, by, you know, like saving money or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, which is kind of laughable in the industry. But, you know, as a restaurant owner. Um, but, every, you know, we the economy has to go through recessions since the Great Depression Historically, it's been every eight years there's right. been some sort of a big downturn. 2008 yeah. was the most recent, right? you know, whatever. And to, in 2008, it, that was a 12-year mark. So the housing market crisis had pushed past by four years. It had to happen. Right. Now, today, we're sitting in year 13 since the last one, right? So, um, <coughs> And the longer you wait, probably the worse it's going to be, it right? You're just compounding it. I had been waiting. I'm like ever like last year. I'm like you know, the past two years. I'm like, all right, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Not knowing what to look for, just knowing that someday we're going to wake up to some bad news about the economy, and that's going to affect things. And how are people going to get ready for it? And 
as much as I hate to, I, I can't imagine being, putting myself in the shoes of a restaurant owner right now and dealing with that sort of stress and anxiety. Um, and I want, I would love nothing more than for every single one of them to do well and succeed and make it through this. But a certain number of them have to shut down through this. I mean, if we're going to get new, we're going to get new ideas, new concepts, new creativity. If Dan Hudson one day is going to open up a fucking restaurant, somebody's got to go out, right? There's right. Gotta, yeah. You know, it has to happen. I mean, there's too many seats, right? And yeah. there's, there's too like, so this is a, this is a conversation I've had several times with people. And, and I think that there's a couple, you know, good things that will come of this. And there's a lot, but there's a lot of bad things, right? Um, I think that the, the worst thing that's going to happen is that, you know, you're going to see a lot of restaurants shut down, which everybody knows. And I'm not telling anybody any, any new right. surprise. The thing that is bad about that for, is for the workers. Um, anybody that spent a significant amount of time working in a restaurant or any time working in a restaurant in the last five years knows that there just isn't enough cooks. There's not enough cooks. There's not enough dishwashers. There's not enough wait staff, bartenders, people that are willing to do the hard work and care about it enough to do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't rocket science. Anybody can do this work. It's just, are you willing to put the time and energy into something like this? Yeah. Um, and where the workers are going to suffer is you close 30% of the restaurants down, but you still, you, you still have the same number of people looking for jobs. And so it's going to become a more competitive market, which is great for employers, but what they're going to be able to do is lower pay rates Mm -hmm. and get better staff. Um, So, you know, in the last few years, it's been very competitive to hire just line cooks. I mean, you're talking 18, $20 an hour, you know, you're better. Um, And, and I think, you know, but you'd put an you put an ad out, um, or you'd start looking for people. And somebody like me, I was pretty fortunate, you know, in the places that I've worked, um, to have a big network of people that I could draw from and say, "Come work for me." Um, and so a lot of the because there wasn't enough staff, the business model, you know, that was adopted at the Sherwood for it for sure was let's hire the best people we can pay them as much as we can pay them, you know, as well as we can pay them and have less staff. Hmm. So instead of having 20 guys on your schedule, you have 15, everybody makes $3 an hour more than they would if you had 20 Hmm. and, and they get a little bit of overtime. Everybody wins, right? Um, the restaurant has a a good product and quality people, but now you're going to see, you know, a job, an ad goes out and a hundred, qualified people apply for it well yeah if you get to you get to start at the top of that list if you're an employer pick who you want and then tell them what you're gonna pay them right there is no negotiation there is no well i'm really worth this yeah well that's a year ago you were worth that today the market's different i've got a stack of 100 applications and the first five guys are you know executive chef level guys applying for a sous chef position i'm gonna yeah I, i'm gonna pick how much i pay um the other, I think the the positive thing that will come out of that scenario is you're going to have some places that hold out, decide to pay well, and you're going to have some really awesome restaurants, restaurants that either are opening that can afford to to spend that payroll because it's part of their budget, they know what they're doing, um, and they're going to have concentrated uh, uh, talent. Mm-hmm. 
or places that have existed for a long time under that same business model, they're going to have concentrated talent and their quality is going to go up. Yeah. I mean, that happened. I mean, in the like Finger Lakes region, there was a few restaurants from New York City who had, you know, they were shut down. So they came up and did pop ups at different spots, you know, along the Finger Lakes. And, um, you know, I work with Eamon Lee now at Gerhars. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's over there. And I saw him a week ago or so. Cool. He's down there. I yeah. finally checked it out. I haven't been there. It's really cool. Oh, really? Really, okay. yeah, yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, it's a great spot. It really is. It's um, it's amazing what they've kind of invested in it um, and that building specifically. And so much different than what was but previous to them moving to that location. So much different than what was available for the for restaurant you know supplies and and design and that yeah. then then what was available i mean it's a, it's 180 degrees different than three years ago yeah. what was available it's understandable for this industry knowing how expensive it is to operate a restaurant i mean knowing how food costs your cost of labor especially now it's going up again in new york state and granted a lot of these people will hopefully have been paying more than just minimum wage but it's still increasing credit card pr- i mean the cost of owning and operating a restaurant is so extreme that I do understand um, people you know, trying to pinch every penny that you possibly can. Right? right. Yeah. But having said that, it's amazing to me um, with e- having you know with having eat local New York and knowing the amount of people that are like constantly talking about in our industry support local, support local, support local. Don't support the big chain. It's amazing to see how many of them support the big chain and don't buy from Gerhars. Um, right, yeah. Well, it's it, it's understandable to a degree, but it's still just surprising, um, especially to have a company that, like, has invested so much in, like, Syracuse and building, trying to build this. Because, right. Um, now, you know, now having said that, I've just been at Gerhars for under a year. I just came on in February, like, right before all of this as the marketing manager. And before that, they didn't do anything. Um, they did like one or two, they did like the buy local bash every year, right? you know, and, um, and they didn't really do much of anything in terms of their marketing. And so it hasn't really like, it's not like they've, it's not like they have like a really true local identity for sure, you know, in the food service world. But I think it's getting there. I mean, they've got the right people on the payroll now to, to, to put it in that direction. I would say, I mean, you've got, Greg Road, Anthony D'Onofrio, yeah. Lee, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's 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 cool to see. It's also nice to see chefs. You know, that's like a a a, a beacon of hope for me. Like, hey, these guys found an avenue to get off the front lines, but stay in the industry, and yeah. they're gonna. They're actually, you know, those are all guys that were making an impact when they were cooking, and some of them haven't cooked in 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 restaurants in years. Yeah. But when they were, they were hugely impactful, and this is a way for them to be kind of to kind of spread that wealth a little bit and be impactful in a different way. I mean, yeah. Greg, Greg Road is, you know, probably not a household name unless you're a chef, yeah. right? You know, I mean, that guy is Aurora Inn. He was the original chef at Rosalie's, yeah. I believe. Um, the Aurora Inn at the time that he was there was, yeah. you know, insane, and then. Side Hill Farms is, yeah. I mean, Side Hill Farms alone makes me want to live in Manlius. You know, they're closed, <laughs> they're closed now, though, right? Are they? I think so. Per, like permanently I closed? So, yeah. Oh wow, that's that's 
and that's unfortunate. That's yeah. a, another effect of this because again, when you say all these people talk about buy local, this, that, and the other, I mean, that's a perfect kind of place yeah. to, to make things work. But again, you want to talk about a harder industry and I'm farming. I know, you right? know, it's just crazy. And, and, you know, being, you know, having those relationships with farmers and stuff, I, I can only imagine, you know, it is more expensive for restaurants to buy those things. Sometimes, yeah. you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's financially beneficial to, to buy local products, but, um, mm. it's, it's in season. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you got a farmer that's got 500 pounds of beets that they need to get rid of, you'd get them cheap, but right. you know, you, chefs have been forced by ownership and management and stuff to, really consolidate their purchasing. So a lot of those farmers have, have struggled. And I bet side Hill farms is the kind of place that, yeah, you know, struggled because it's a tight place. People didn't want to go in there. I, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, I mean, I think it's, I mean, those struggles for businesses, I for local businesses, I think, and restaurants, even let's say specifically, they, it's hard to find. Well, you know, we started eat, uh, the story, I think we'll kind of touch on it. We started Eat Local. One of the reasons, like right when we had first started, um, was to help local restaurants, right? Like, you know, I I mean, my restaurant experience is like my parents owned a 50-style diner in Kentucky when I was like 12, 11 mm-hmm. maybe. And uh, they had it for a year and a half and then shut it down. And it just, you know, a lot of different reasons. So, but I was homeschooled at the time, which meant I was in the restaurant all all day long. Right. And then uh, I worked third shift at the Denny's on West Genesee Street. Uh, like the, the Whoa. Yeah. This, yeah. <laughs> the summer I graduated high school, I did that to save up money. You'll never forget that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And uh, uh, first time I heard a Neil Young song, uh, first time I, I learned what uh, the term toss your salad meant, and uh, first time I smoked a USA Gold. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I was Denny's on West Genesee Street at three in the morning. So, um, but, uh, you know, so we started, I just, I knew it, you know, it sucked. And so we had a social media marketing business I just started. And a friend of a friend reached out to me and said, There's this restaurant owner in Syracuse. You need to go talk to her. She's struggling. She's about to close. So I went and met with her. And um, she had the same story that a lot of people that start small restaurants around here do. And I'm sure all over the country. And that was, she had a great job, worked at a bank, you know, house, kids, <laughs> yeah, health th- insurance. Thought, right? thought it was the dream. Her friend, she made, you know, she cooked, she liked to cook at home. Her friend said, you make the best X, you know, insert whatever the hell it is. Uh, it's so delicious. You should start a restaurant. You would crush it. You know, um, she hears it enough times that she decides one day to quit her job mortgage the house, get out, get a loan and open up a restaurant, finally making X. And while she, maybe she does make the best X around, uh, she has no idea where to like, how to pick a good location, how to get a good logo, how to choose the right name, how to market the business, how to manage your food costs. Yeah. Who to buy from, how to hire people. Cause I mean, there's a lot of hairy, sketchy, you know, whatever you want to call them, individuals working on, and every, Yes. Uh, level of this industry. I mean, we're not talking about hiring a sketchy dishwasher. You can hire a sketchy GM. Right. If exactly. you don't know and yeah. you don't know who to ask, yeah. you might get stuck with one of those. But you probably will get right. stuck with one of those people. Not to mention all the sketchy people that are popping in every day trying to sell you something. Well, that's a whole nother. 
<laughs> and so she, you know, I, I won't call like the table or, um, uh, that was a Freudian slip. <laughs> I won't call uh, table hopping a sketchy individual, but, uh, they are, but, uh, the Clipper magazine and, um, you know, they charge her like three grand for a month's worth of, you know, coupons in their magazine. And she, you know, like I think most, a lot of people, they don't know anything about marketing when they open right. a restaurant. They shouldn't. Uh, well, they should, but they don't. And uh, so she spent the money on it, and it was like the last bit of money she had. And granted, she was in the, like a terrible location, like right. a terrible location. Um, no foot traffic, no drive-by, tra- like just awful. So many other decisions that were bad. But that was one of the last bad ones. And she spent it and didn't get one redemption from it. No customers came in from it. By the time I got to her, even to just give her free advice and say you should run a $50 Facebook ad, it was like, I don't have $50. Um, and so she wound up closing. And uh, I forget my point of telling you the story. Uh, um, oh, the point was... That stuff still happens today. Like, even especially during all of COVID and quarantine, you know, in the early days of quarantine, restaurant owners that I had pitched to do their marketing for them or pitched to join the Eat Local card, which that's free for them, but ones that would be like, oh, we don't need it. All of a sudden, they were hiring companies and overpaying for marketing and advertising, even from other sources, just spending money like crazy, just trying to get something. Right. But it was bad money. Now, like I told you before we started, we might get interrupted because uh, I have a delivery coming because I went on Target, like the Target app earlier and bought protein powder and oats and <laughs> peanut butter and two throw pillows for the couch. And I'm having it delivered here in a couple hours for free. Um, now, granted, a local restaurant, right, like Shaughnessy's or, or whatever, the, right, yeah. you know, the Sherwood isn't going to probably have the money to develop that sort of a app because that's going to be tens of thousands of dollars. Right. Um, or then have the staffing to go out and make the whatever. But they still don't have the money to even innovate in like small ideas, small ways. And if they do, they don't like, they kind of overspend. They don't know what to actually do to innovate in small ways. Well, yeah. So it's, it's this, uh, this again, like I guess going back to, uh, you know, being a chef for my whole life is, you know, say I say next week I open a restaurant. Um, you know, I'm, I know, I know what I know. And I also know what I don't know. The problem is, is that there's a lot of people that don't know what they don't, or they're not willing to admit what they don't know. Sure. And, you know, I know who I would call for different things, you know, that I don't really understand. Can I read a PNL? Sure. Do I understand tax law? No, I would hire an accountant, you know? Um, do I, do I know how Facebook works? I know how to use it. Do I know how to use it to my benefit from a business standpoint? Well, I've seen it done well and I've seen it done poorly, but I, do I really know how to get from point A to point B or do I need to hire somebody to do that? And it's hard when margins are so close, either people do it on their own and they, I wouldn't even say necessarily always overspend, but they spend in the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, or, or it's just, it's misguided, uh, you know, fruitless marketing, uh, you know, or, or they, like you said, or they overspend. Yeah. Um, 
the best way to, to not have to worry about marketing is being the best at something, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and then it's word of mouth and things get out there, but that's also extremely difficult to, yeah. you know, um, to, to execute. It, it's, it's funny because, you know, I cook at, I've been cooking at home a lot mm-hmm. and I have a really hard time going that direction. Mm-hmm. Like the food that I cook at home is so bad compared <laughs> to what I can cook in a really? restaurant. It's different. It's different. It's a different kind of stove. It's, it's, yeah. you know, you're in your house. You can't make a mess. Yeah. You can't clean the same way. You don't have, you know, if you're in a restaurant, um, I've got 36 pounds of butter mm-hmm. or more, you know, I've got 12 <laughs> quarts of heavy cream. I've got a hundred pounds of salt. Um, let alone every other ingredient that you need. If you need something, you make a phone call. It's just delivered to you the next day. Yeah. If I, when I'm cooking at home, I mean, it's, it's, you have one oven, not 10, <laughs> you know, you have four burners, not 16. It's, it, it, there's just a different, you know, kind of, um, uh, touches to it yeah. that, that it, it, for me, it's hard, but I still know how to cook. Right. So I can, I, and I've cooked in a house before cause I've lived in a house my whole life, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I can get it. It's not that, it's not that difficult for me to make good food in my house. Right. Um, but if you're a home cook, trying to figure out how to work in a commercial kitchen is, 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 uh, you know, doesn't matter how good you are. And also if you're cooking, you know, people think, oh, you just times out the recipe and whatever. It doesn't work that way. Um, it, it just doesn't work that way. So, you know, if you could make the best, you know, enchiladas you've ever had, anybody's ever had or lasagna or chicken pot pie, whatever it is, um, but now make a thousand of them. Right. And right now, oh, and this guy doesn't want this and this person does want this. And this guy called in and, you know, your, your cooler went down and, you yeah. know, whatever. And, oh, and by the way, you have to do some marketing too. Like what? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a, it, it's, it's definitely a, not necessarily a transferable thing, although people do it, you know, yeah. and they do it successfully. It's just a matter of, you know, again, the work and the, and, a lot of it's getting lucky. Yeah. Um, with a lot of these restaurants, mm. um, it's, you know, did you get into the right neighborhood before it was the right neighborhood? Yeah. Cause then your rent's half of what everybody else's is. Um, you mm. know, did you get into the right, uh, you know, a great example of, um, of a restaurant that went out of business. Um, and it, it didn't go out of business because it couldn't have sustained, but it was just closes where Gilda's is now was Kabuki. It was a sushi restaurant in Skinny Atlas. Oh, wow. And um, Mm. they did great. But they were also open at a time where the closest place to them to get sushi was in downtown Syracuse. So anybody living in Auburn or Marcellus or any of those places, there there wasn't anything else available. And there's a small space. If you wanted sushi, that's where you're going to go, you know? Yeah. But then once, you know, Wegmans became a thing, like a legit sushi option. It's yeah. not great, but I'll eat it. Right. You know, it's, it's, if I'm hankering for it and I, you know, and I don't want to spend an arm and a leg, I'll get some sushi from them. But then Ichiban opened in Auburn, another sushi place open and whatever happened. And it's like, you know, you were in the right place at the right time. But then when it's, when you can see your numbers going like this and you want to, and you, you know that it, your product hasn't changed, that market's changed. Yeah. What are you going to do? You know, and, then they open Gilda's, which is mm. a great little place. I, I you know, yeah, I, I like it. 
you know, conversations with uh, a, a lot of people, you know, spending as much time as I spent in, in skinny Atlas, uh, you know, I, built relationships with a lot of wealthy people over the years. And it's really what they talk about is, you know, how are you going to spend your money? Cause really what's valuable is time, right? Everybody has the right. same amount of time, but if you can pay, if you can afford to pay somebody else to clean your house for you, yeah, you don't have to spend three hours a week cleaning your house. Right. And how are you going to use those three hours? Yeah, exactly. You know, what's it worth to you to not have to mow your lawn, to not have to shovel your driveway or do your laundry or go shopping. And now, you know, and that's why these apps and, and this delivery service thing is, is killing it. Right. Um, you know, it is because people, well, I mean, the pandemic, people don't want to go out in public, but it's also a, a time saver. You know, yeah. if you're a busy person, which we all are busy people, um, do you want to, do you want to go to Target and grab the stuff that you know you, you need to grab? Or do you want to stop at the front door and have it brought to your car because you're driving past? Or do you want to have it delivered? Yeah. And and that's an option that saves you time. But then the question is, what do you do with that time? Do you do this? Yeah, right. This is <clears throat> this is productive. Yeah. Or, or or do you play Fortnite? I don't know. Or yeah. whatever you do in your spare time. Sometimes times. I do I both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I started this year, uh, not this year. Um, for me, I think the new year started maybe like a week and a half ago, but just kind of like getting ready for what was going to be different about 2021. And you know, I, I'm coming up. This is, I, we've been married now for like, uh, October. So, you know, 14 months. And, um, uh, my wife is, uh, great, you know, works for the state, um, not entrepreneurial whatsoever. Um, does a phenomenal job of keeping the house like in order and all that kind of right. stuff. Yeah. Somebody has to, right. right. Um, <laughs> and you know, not that that's her lot in life, but she does a great job with it. And, um, you know, the, the, you know, these last 14 months it's, uh, of being married is, is because things, you know, things shift when you get married versus even when I think you're just in a long-term relationship with somebody. And, um, I've really been, we've really been having the conversation as we start to like think about kids and whatnot. It's like, all right, right now I'm working. I wake up at, you know, between five 30 and six 30, uh, get ready and pretty much fly out the door. Um, if sometimes I have time to like feed the dog and take him out and, you know, try and play with him to get his energy out, go let the chickens out, make sure, they haven't killed each other, you know, make right, sure the yeah. water's good, you know, now we're in the winter. So, you know, so it's like trying to do this up, but for the most part, I'm, I'm chickens are a lot of work. I, I don't think we'll, I, cause I've been tempted. <laughs> My mother had chickens for years at her place in Fulton and, uh, and she finally got rid of them. She's like, Dan, I, you can't take a day off from these things. No. It's crazy. Like you would yeah. think they're just chickens, but yeah. like, in, unless you want to mess with them and if you go away, you got to have somebody look at them every day and do stuff with them every day and. I feel bad because we've got them in like a run. Like they've got like twice as much space as technically they should have. Right. And they've got a thousand times more space than like the industry gives them. Yeah. Um, but still like they know uh, whenever I walk out the back door, they're like, maybe he's going to let us out in the yard today. And they like <laughs> flock to the gate and they just, I'm like, Oh God. If, and because you have to watch them because like we have neighborhood cats that will, Right. Like yeah. I'll I'll let them out by themselves for like an hour or two in the yard and they run the chickens run around and eat and you know, love life. And then all of a sudden I'll like look out and there's a cat sitting there, you know, waiting to, you know, pounce on them. So 
Um, so you can you have to spend time with them for sure. Absolutely. Um, and especially up until now, we just started getting eggs last week. Um, so it's been, we've only had them since like July. Um, you're starting to get the eggs and do the whole thing. So it's like, yeah. now it's like, you've got that reward. Right. Then you're going to get to a point where you have too many eggs. Yeah, I know. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> what am I going to do with these eggs? Right. <laughs> Uh, hopefully, you know, the plan for us is to move to, you know, somewhere with like a lot of land uh, by, you know, maybe the next year at some point because we live in the north side right now. And uh, at that point, we'll put, just put a little roadside stand out there because then it's a tax break. Um, right. You know, so. Um, but with this business and, you know, we're five years in now for Eat Local New York and it's cool. I mean, we just sold a bunch of cards the past few months. We raised $3,500 for the United Way. Oh, that's awesome. I know. I love that stuff. Um, uh, I love being able to work with like the, doing the marketing for restaurants because, you know, they're, you know, we've had some of them, especially that like one of them just started doing like really serious marketing this year for social media. And they're, they've made more money this year than they, than, than they did last during, uh, you know, COVID-19. Yeah, an unprecedented time. I love doing that stuff. But, right. But. I made a list this like about a week ago. I was sitting down and just kind of like thinking through stuff. And I was like, I decided to write down the priorities of my life. Like in a typical day, if this pops up, you know, like in a typical day, these are the things that are most important. So if something comes in that is like at a level five, I need to deal with level one stuff first, you know, level two stuff first. So it was something where I had to like legitimately write down those priorities. And for me, it was, you know, a spiritual relationship, my relationship with my wife, uh, you know, like my health physically and mentally, right. You know, the animals, right. The, you know, family and friends and then animals and, you know, the business really fell down pretty low on that list of priorities. Well, it's, it's funny, you know, so I, obviously, you know, this was planned that I was going to come here and I was thinking, well, what are we going to talk about? And, you know, what, like reflecting a little bit on, on 2020, which I think for a lot of people is, you know, at a glance kind of negative, but I think if you were in a, in a fortunate enough position to be financially secure and, you know, like have some security in that and to be in a, in a place of decent health and not get sick and all those things, it was a great year for opportunity to kind of reinvent yourself and do some do some different things and, you know, prioritizing and, and, you know, figuring out what you're going to do with your life, you know, um, and forever for my whole life, it's, it hasn't been, what am I going to do this week, this month, you know, in the next six weeks or whatever, it's been figuring out the rest of my life, which just got taken away from millions of people in this country. I mean, restaurant industry aside, I mean, just the rest of your life, what you've worked for. I mean, what I worked for for my whole life was being a chef mm-hmm. in a top tier place. And I accomplished that. And I was finally at that point where I was like, okay, I can kind of like kick back on my heels a little bit, manage some people, do the food I want to do, um, you know, have a great, you know, corporation I'm working for. And then boom, it's severely damaged and then taken away. Right. Yeah. Um, but what I was given back was a lot of time and, you know, again, what are you going to do with that time? You know, I, I 
fell into or, or got into some things that, uh, you know, were, were great for me. I mean, my, my life as far as outside of restaurants was still restaurants. Yeah. It was still going out to eat, going out for drinks, meeting up with people. I mean, when you get out of work at between nine and midnight every right. day, what else is there to do? <laughs> you don't have to go to work until 11, 12, two yeah. o'clock. You know, yeah, you go out, you have some drinks, you sleep in, you wake up, you mess around. You don't really, you don't really have a super productive first part of your day. Yeah. Unless you're doing things that are related to working. Right. You're just working more hours. Um, so for me this year, I, uh, you know, when, when the pandemic happened in March, it was like, all right, well, what are we going to do? All right. Well, I'm just, I'm still working. Um, not a lot to do. I started fishing. Um, got really into fishing, really, really into fishing. Like I, I probably fished 150 days this year. Wow. Um, where at, uh, mostly bank fishing. So, um, I'm not going to tell you where, no, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) They're my secret spots. (laughs) Um, uh, in Baldwinsville a lot. Um, I don't fish off the, the, um, uh, the bridge, a lot of people fish yeah. off the bridge, not my scene. I'm not, I want to relax when I'm fishing, if I'm bank fishing. Yeah. But, uh, on the other side of the lock, we, I did a lot of carp fishing. I caught, uh, these, uh, sheephead, huge fish, wow. um, big carp. Uh, then I got into, um, you catch and release or do you eat them? I, I, the only fish that I kept all year were fish that I didn't think would live. Okay. Um, you know, if I was a, if it was a mouth hook and it was a clean hook, whatever, I'd release them. Yeah. I, I fished Nine Mile Creek a lot. Mm. Uh, nice rainbow trout. Yeah. Um, Nine Mile Creek is catch and release only. Oh, really? Um, at least the section, I think it's in Camillus. Uh, yeah, it's the yeah. section in Camillus that I fish is open to the public. And these are public places. Um, you know, I don't, I don't fish any private thing and I don't have a boat. Yeah. Um, which is a whole nother realm of fishing, which I would love to get into, but it's yeah. like, that's like, a, boats are stupid expensive. Yeah. I, I right. don't ever see myself <laughs> being in a position that not, not even, not even being able to afford a boat. Cause like you could get into a boat yeah, kind of inexpensive yeah. if you wanted to, but just having the time to actually use it. I mean, it's a time commitment to, to get it on the water, get yeah. it out, do this, do that, whatever. Maintenance. Um, so and then I fished uh, the, the Erie Canal actually a lot. Uh, the Nine Mile Creek Aqueduct actually in Warner's, mm. um, great bass fishing. Um, yeah. I did a lot of carp fishing, which is actually super fun because you can just kind of you kind of set up all your stuff and wait. And if you catch mm. something, great. And if you don't, you, I mean, it's better than yeah. what sitting at home staring at the TV, right? Yeah, sounds um, like smoking. And then I and then I spent. Uh, for a couple months, a lot of time in Pulaski f- fishing Salmon River. Oh, that's cool. Uh, for the salmon run, which was a totally different experience. I mean, waders, you're walking in a rushing river. Mm. Um, you know, there's a million guys all over the place. Uh, fortunately for me, again, I think going back to not having the weekends off, yeah. you know, you go on a Tuesday, it's a lot different than going on a Saturday, right. a lot less people. Um, I, I went up there probably 15 times, 10 or 15 times. Um, I hooked up on several salmon, didn't catch any, um, crazy experience. And, and honestly, just for people that aren't even into fishing, if you go in the fall in the late fall to Pulaski or, or, or Altmar, there's some very centrally located, like places like in 
yeah, Pulaski right that you there. can just watch people fish, and it's yeah. incredible. I mean, you're they're catching twenty pound yeah salmon oh, left and insane. right. Um, I've got a I've got a buddy that him and like his ten year old kid catches these massive salmon. They're like bigger than him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really cool. Um, but then also during that, I decided to get my hunting license. I hunted a lot when I was a kid, um, with my dad uh, on the West Coast. He lives in California, and uh, you know, but. I moved to Syracuse when I was like 13 years old. So I only got one deer hunting season with him. Cause 12 years old, like 12 yeah. is the cutoff, you know, to hunt big game. Mm. So I shot one deer and, uh, this year I got my hunting license, bought a hunting rifle, bought all the gear. Um, I'm lucky enough that my mother owns, uh, 56 or 66 acres up in Granby outside of Fulton. Oh, that's cool. And, uh, I shot two deer this year, a buck and a doe. Oh, nice. Um, and you know, it's funny because being a chef, it's, you know, what do you know about food? How do you, you know, how are you connected to it? And I spent a lot of time talking to farmers, hanging out with farmers, going to cattle farms, going to this, going to that. Um, I've always had a garden, yeah. you know, since I've owned my house in you know, the last 10 years, I've had a, a, a big garden. I've got like four or five raised garden beds. I, cool. you know, I grow vegetables and stuff just, just to do it. Right. Um, it, it's again, it's one of those things where it's like, I spent $960 to get like $3 and 50 cents worth of green peppers. But <laughs> That's how I feel with the chickens. But yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like how many years yeah. of, of eggs will you have to get in order to, <laughs> in order to, to make it worth it? But it's not about that. Right. No, yeah. Um, so I did the whole thing with the deer hunting and I sat in a tree stand and I shot a eight point buck, a nice buck. Um, and, uh, one of the last days of the season, I shot a doe and I was able to give that meat to my mother for letting me use the That's property. Cool. And then the other one I kept and I've been, you know, cooking venison and, and it's a totally different kind of experience. I mean, you know, even fishing, you know, you catch a fish, you clean it. It's a fish. Yeah. When shooting a 200, 160 pound deer yeah, and then field dressing it and, you know, dragging it out of the woods and processing it and doing all that stuff is, you know, you, you realize, you know, this a sentient being, you know yeah. what I mean? It's a real live animal and it, it came to the end because of your actions. Like, how are you going to handle that now? Yeah. Like what your responsibility to that animal mm. and to, to nature. The other thing that's wild is so, um, one of the deer we took to a processor mm. and uh if you've never been to a deer processing facility you know they're small you know in the woods yeah. you know this is this is three miles from my mom's house i mean the the guy so the doe i took there um as the end of the season i was talking to him and he just him he did 500 wow. deer processed 500 deer wow now you're talking one place in central New York and I see deer still like still I've been going out in the woods and so now cuz I'm not going to ice fish. Yeah. I'm it's too expensive. Yeah. You know to get into it and standing on a, I mean I'm not afraid to stand on a frozen lake but it just doesn't sound fun to me. <laughs> uh, I want to like relax and have a beer and like chill yeah. out and like you know hang out with my kid. Right. That's never going to happen. I'm you're out there fishing for whatever, you know. Yeah. Um so I've been trying to figure out, you know, well what's my winter hobby going to be and like yeah. I, you know 
bread making, yeah, I like that. It's fun. It's yeah. good. But, you know, but it's only, you know, it's right. how many days in a row can you make bread? Um, I like to make beer. Oh, that's cool. Again, it's like one day, then wait two weeks. Yeah. So I've been going up to my mom's property and now I'm, uh, been doing like squirrel and rabbit hunting. Haven't really seen anything, but my real primary thing that I'm doing out there is looking for, um, shed antlers. Mm. So antlers that have fallen off of, off of deer because they fall off in the, in the winter. And about now is when they start going, but I've been going and tracking them and Mm. just spending time in the woods. And, you know, I think realizing again, like what you don't know, Yeah, you know, go sit in the woods for a couple hours and really just, Mm. you know, sit silently sit in the woods for, I mean, one day I was out there for 10 hours by myself completely. And it's, it's a, it's, Mm. Probably not for everybody, yeah. But for somebody like myself, who's spent so much time in a you know in a room with no windows, with ten other people, <laughs> just going banging as hard as you can, right? To then kind of transfer that and say, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna go by myself and sit in the woods, and probably not see anything, <laughs> you know. Or if I do, could I shoot it? Is it is it? Do I have a tag for you know a buck still? Do is it? too far is it behind cover is it run is it moving is it the is it not one that i want yeah um can you handle it by yourself can i can i get out of the woods by myself yeah Yeah. i mean that was the the doe that i shot actually was because i was by myself and i was a little farther away than i should have been and it was about sunset and Mm. you know dragging one of those out of the woods is not an easy task (laughs) for one person um (laughs) so you know it it is for me that's kind of how i spent my um you know, my, my free time. And I think realizing that, you know, everybody has a certain amount of time or the same amount of time in a day. Yeah. And yeah, some people work more than others. You know, some people have other responsibilities, but really we all get the same amount of time. Um, you know, what are you doing with your time? Are you, am I going to a bar and yeah. and having drinks, you know, which is fine. I still do. I'm not saying I don't ever yeah. do that. But are are you doing things that are good for your brain? You know, good mm. for your good for your mental health. And then what are those things for you? Is it? Um, a couple of years ago, I did a bunch of uh, uh, ceramics, like clay throwing and stuff. I found that super super therapeutic, really rewarding when you get that p- finished product. You know, yeah. it's it's a mm. they do it right over here too, somewhere I think. Oh, do they? There's a I don't know if it's in this. There's a few potters in here. Um, there's there's like clay, Syracuse Clayscapes or something like that. Okay, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's here. Or there's another complex like yeah. this down one. Yeah, the or something. Factory, I think. Yeah, there might be over there. Yeah. Um. But you know, I think it for me, and I hope for a lot of other chefs and people in the industry that they were able to, you know, kind of use this time to. Yeah. Either discover things that that they're passionate about that fall outside of the, their, you know, job. Yeah. Or you know, rediscover things that they kind of let go. You know, because like yeah. hunting was super that for me. It was like I did it when I was a kid. I have fond memories of it. Maybe I'll give it a shot again. Hmm. I did it, and it turns out like I love it. Yeah. Like if that's what I would a hundred percent give my you know career up for is if I could find a career, but just being in the woods. Yeah. Cause I just, lo- I love it. It's, it's, yeah. it's something that like, 
if I wasn't here talking to you today, I would have gone up into the woods today. Mm. I just had free time and you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's mentally beneficial for me. Yeah. So there's a, a, a guy I heard once give a talk and he was saying that, uh, if he he's married with kids and he was saying that if he ever is, like finds himself in the grocery store, uh, like checking out another woman and like legitimately like, Oh, I could probably pick her, you know, shit like that. Like, yeah, yeah. like thoughts that go uh, yeah. beyond like, Oh, she's hot, you know, uh, about a woman that's, uh, uh, you know, other than his wife, he immediately says, I need an adventure. And so he'll go like backpacking for a week or he'll like go, you know, fly fishing or, Whatever right. it is, you know, and, and, uh, he's like, it's like, it's the, you know, it's the, it's when my brain is like focused on Amazon prime and social media and what Netflix show am I watching tonight? And that's where like my, my focus is like, that's where my life kind of stalls for, you know, a couple right. of weeks. That's when I start to like get into a person I don't want to be or that I am not. And I think for, um, you know, I'm 34. I'm still really young for life, hopefully. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> me too, I'm 35. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. And I enjoy what I do now. I enjoy like owning this business and working hard. Um, but I've definitely found myself to be way more superficial today than I was 10 years ago. You know, I found myself to be a lot more um, actively searching out like knowledge and how to like connect with people and, and things like that. And today I find myself being more interested in what other people think about me um, than really a lot of other stuff. I had this thing like uh, years ago. I mean, it's hard though, because that's, that's, you know, drives your success in your career, which is like yes. the part of your life that you're probably focusing on. Yeah. And so it's funny that you say that because a hundred percent for me, I mean, I, you know, I, you know, as a chef that is, was pretty, you know, decently known and like, you know, in the, you know, Sherwood Inn's like a pretty high profile yeah, place. Sure. And then going to, you know, Marriott, which is a definitely a super high profile space and kudos to them. They just want a bunch of, uh, um, like best of Syracuse oh, stuff. Cool. I don't know what, I think it's Syracuse.com or something, but like yeah. best wedding space, best wedding planner, oh, uh, cool. Lindsay Cole. She's amazing. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this kind of took me out of all that. Yeah. It all of a sudden didn't matter. Yeah. You know, it did the, what people think of me or, or, you know, how I'm presented or what I do or whatever. It's just, just do whatever makes you happy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting mm. how, how this year is kind of, change that yeah. i noticed not to change the subject when you were when you went out i noticed that you've got like three of the <laughs> ken blanchard books yeah do you know that he has a summer home yeah I'm just getting lake. Have yeah you ever I met him? i haven't uh pull the mic a little closer to you um i haven't but this is pretty funny i bought those books when i got uh a regional director position when i worked at metro mattress I, yeah i like, started buying as many business books as i could so I bought all his shit and, um, not all of them. He's like 60 books. Yeah. Just, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's but true. the one minute yeah. manager is like the, yeah. that was his first one. I think my favorite is raving fans and yeah, um, very good. And gung ho. I, I was, haven't, I haven't read that one. I was always trying to figure gung ho is all about like internal company culture in terms of like getting your, getting like the, the staff, um, or like centralized around like what you're doing is good for 
people or society and like like you're needed basically like right. what you're doing in your job whether you're a factory worker or the president is needed and getting people rallied around like you're making a difference basically is like right like you're you might have a small part in something but it's a small part in a big picture and without right. that small part things fall apart exactly right and using that to then like get success out of you know your your business um uh and so yeah so i know he does actually so my par- so our family my grandfather back in the 50s 60s 70s if there was a cigarette machine, a jukebox, or a pinball machine anywhere in central New York, you had to get it through his company. Oh, wow. And so, um, and his name was Anthony Tringale. And, uh, man, those, those things are, <laughs> don't exist. I know. Right? <laughs> anymore. I know. <laughs> um, uh, they're like danger zones, especially yeah. Like during COVID. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. absolutely. But sh- cigarette machine? I know. Come on. God damn. Uh, Modern <laughs> Malt still has one, but I don't think it's operational. Or it has like, I've seen them with like art in them. Yeah. Or stuff like that. Like cool stuff, but it's not yeah. cigarettes. Yeah. Um, so he owned a place at Apple Tree Point. He owned two camps like way back in the day. On Skinny Atlas, and then um, the Renali family, who owns United Auto Supply, mm-hmm. yep. and they have Jammers and Stratomia. Yep, yep. Um, Jim Senior, who's now deceased, and so is my grandfather. But Jim Senior, um, they had a like a huge place just a point down from where my grandfather was, and so they were friends somehow. I forget, but anyways, um, Jim Senior's place, the Renali's place, was it's. It was essentially like four townhomes, a complex okay. on this point. They owned the point. I mean, it was just gorgeous. So Jim Sr. would always like tell my grandfather, sell your places, just rent one of our spots. It'll be, you don't have to deal with the maintenance or the taxes. And, right. And so that's what our family did. And we rented a place from them um, for like 30 years. And then after my grandparents passed away, um, our family decided because my grandfather was successful and, you know, smart with his money. Um, uh, we decided to, after they had ever, you know, both had passed away, the whole extended family, we bought back the old camps that, oh, was, okay. that my grandfather had originally built. And um, we sold one and then they built a new house, uh, tore the other one down and built a new spot because it needed to be. Um, and, uh, anyways, they had that for a few years and then, uh, sold it. Um, and so now we rent, uh, you know, our, like my immediate families, so like my brothers and sisters and their whole family we will rent a place on skinny Atlas once a year, uh, for a week in the summer. Yeah. Um, and like ever, even when I lived in Kentucky as a kid, uh, we were, our vacations were skinny Atlas. We never great place to, yeah, to have a vacation, right. right? But it was never Disney or anything like that. Every year it was one or two weeks on skinny Atlas you know, back when I was a kid, we would just come up and my grandparents rented the place, you know, so we would just stay with them, but because they rented it for the whole summer. Um, but, you know, now it's at least a week out there and there is nothing in this world like Skinny Atlas Lake. Um, it's, you know, it's funny because I, I think I'd been before I worked at the Sherwood, I think I'd been to Skinny Atlas once yeah. in my life. Um, then I worked there for, you know, 10 plus years mm-hmm. and, it's a it's a great little town. Yeah. Um it's got a great base of people that live in the town and in the village and it's not just the lake. I mean there's so many great things there. Yeah. It's all that I'm and I I could be wrong in this, but I'm pretty sure that the the town board or chamber of commerce whoever it is doesn't allow like any corporate things yeah. to come in. I mean like 
they literally it's like a burned dairy. Right. It's like the most corporate thing. Yeah. There's not even a gas station in the town, yeah. like in the, in the village itself. Um, all, all privately owned and 90% of those, but most of those businesses I believe are owned by people that live in the village, yeah. which is super cool. I pray to God because I mean, there's been so many issues like in the past couple of years with like different people wanting to like come in and change it, uh, you know, politically and whatnot. I pray to God that it stays the way it is for a while. You know, I think, I mean, you'd have to talk to people that live there and stuff, but I think it'll, it'll, you know, the village itself will, will stay the way that it is, um, for a long time. And the people that want to change it or think that it needs changing, I think are flash in the pan type people. They'll move on to the next thing. Cause if you could go change, right. You know, a different spot with less resistance then, then you would do that. But, um, but Ken Blanchard. So the the cool yes. part about the cool <laughs> right. part about Ken Blanchard, and the reason why I know that he lives on Skinny Ellis Lake is because every year at the end of the summer, he would come down to the Sherwood and oh, cool. and do like a little mini seminar with the people that work at the Sherwood. Cool. And I think like we bought him dinner. Okay, you know, but he would like come yeah. down. It was like, and we'd like send him a carrot cake for his birthday and like all this stuff and, um. I don't know if he's around anymore. I'm assuming he is. I but. think he is. I don't know if he's still. Well, I think as as early as last summer. So my parents, um, uh, are uh, and you know I am too. But my parents are like involved in church and shit. You know, so like we grew up in like a really Christian home. So my, my parents always volunteered in church. We're not. I'm not as active as I used to be. Um, but anyways, my parents have these like monthly gatherings at their house, and it's just for like pastors from like Central New right. York. And they base my dad's a chef, and so uh, or was a chef, and so they like turn it on, cook all this amazing food for him, just let him come and hang out and chill. You know, it's like the equivalent of like all the restaurant owners getting together and hanging out, right? So, but when they had their place in Skinny Atlas, they would do them there in like the summer and the spring. And Ken Blanchard used to come to him. Yeah, and he's very active in the right. re- you know religious sphere. Yeah, and so one night my mom was like, "Oh, I was gonna." Ken Blanchard's in town. We were going to invite him out. I was like, how the fuck do you know? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think his stuff, it it really is, uh, it's great. And I think, um, you know, books like Gung Ho, The One Minute Manager, um, Raving Fans. I mean, they're just, they're such simple things to like that you, uh, people can capture that are old. It's not like they're, you know, right. They weren't, you know, well, it, you know, it's kind of funny too, because with, with stuff like that, when you read it, it's all common sense. It's, right. it's, co- it's, it's cooking, right? It's the same thing. It's like, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. It, we were at my mom's house for uh, Christmas, a couple of days before Christmas. And, you know, I made a meal and they're like, oh, you know, give me the recipe. And I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, oh, you don't want to give your secrets. I'm like, you, it's, it's not about, the the it's not about what's in the book it's about what you do with it right it's 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 um there's such simple ideas and it's but it's all about acting them out every day all the time believing it living it you know doing doing the thing and the same thing you know goes into probably any industry is you know all this stuff is simple right you know the restaurant industry is simple i just had this conversation with rich stroob sitting right there uh, uh, just the other day, and I've had this debate with Cody Dedishu, uh, before, and that is the difference between you guys being craftsmen versus artists. So I view a chef 
And really, anybody who can do anything. Uh, don't say an artist. I'm gonna. I disagree. Say. I dis. Uh, it's a disagreement, but, and know, any chef you talk to is gonna disagree. Well, Cody, unless you're Ferran Adria <laughs> or, or 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 Rene Renzepi. And I get you know, that. And in Rich, Rich essentially was saying the same thing. Like, like Rich, I forget the chef that he mentioned, some faint world famous chef, but he was like, their menu is like a poem, right? Like they right. intentionally, and that's kind of pretentious and whatever. It, it is its thing, but whatever. But I was, uh, my point is Eamon Lee, for example. Eamon, you know, the other day, uh, him and D'Onofrio at Gerhard's on day one, they're building a sourdough, doing other folds, everything like that throughout the whole day. Day two, because we have this amazing test kitchen, we have a rationale, you know, yeah. right? A, the new one in the fucking test kitchen. So they're like, we want to see how like legit sourdough is going to react in a rationale. Like, can it do it? Right? Probably pretty well. Uh, we have to figure out some of the. You got to figure out, yeah. But once you figure it out, it's going to do all right, right? <laughs> so, and then I set the camera up in front of it to do a time lapse while it was in the rationale. Well, it rises yeah. and bakes and the whole thing, right? So Eamon has a, because, you know, Eamon, he's like the most systematic person that there exists. Um, uh, but he has his, uh, um, he probably, he isn't, he's not the most systematic person that exists, but uh, <laughs> he's like really, you know, you know, he was like, you know, whatever. Uh, Eamon, I don't think you're listening to this, but you're a great person. Uh, anyways, um, uh, I mean, this with all due respect, but he has this eight by 11 printed out. And it's like this color-coded grid spreadsheet of, like, what to do, when to do it for the sourdough. Yeah. And he's sitting there looking it through and checking He gave me some off. of that starter last week, and okay. I don't have that. Yeah. I just make it. Right. <laughs> but I could follow his color-coded instructions to every, you know, detail. And I'm never going to make sourdough the way that Eamon does. Right. Right? I'm not going to do – because at the end of the day, I believe – that every chef has some form of, I'm not saying that like they sit there in front of the mirror and like, well, you know, look at me, but that they have some form of artistry in them that like no one else can cook food the way Dan Hudson can. Right. Well, the, and the argument against that, in my opinion, is that so yesterday I was cooking dinner, right? And I, I wanted to make these, uh, potatoes that I'd never made before. Right. They're Hasselback potatoes. Yeah. You ever had them? Yeah. Great. Awesome. Right. I just never made them before. It's not like a hard technique or anything like that. I just never right. took the time to do it. They're a pain in the ass. No, not really. Really? Yeah. Oh, I fucking yeah. <laughs> the cutting, you know, just trying to make them precise. Yeah, but, you know, again, so that's where it comes down to me to being a craftsman is like I've spent countless hours with a knife in my hand, yeah. right? Like I don't, it, it's, okay, so you show me a technique, I can watch a video or 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 read the technique on a, on a recipe and then, yeah. And then execute it right without too much further instruction because I've done enough knife work in my life that I know how to use a knife and I know what to do to get from point A to point B. Yeah. I know how a potato feels. I know my knife. I know this, that, and the other. And, and that's really where I think it comes down to being more of a craftsman. Um, so I was making the potatoes. I made those. They didn't come out exactly how I wanted them, but they were good. Um, but I made hollandaise. Well, I made Bernays, um, which is hollandaise with other shit in it. Um, but uh, my girlfriend was like, you know, we're she was hanging out. I was cooking. I'm like, I'm gonna cook dinner, but like, let's. I've got a small house. Let's hang out. You know, right. listen to music, whatever. And she's like, What are you doing? So I'm explaining it to her. She's like, How hard is this to make? And I'm like, Well, 
because I'm like talking to her while I'm doing it. I'm not really paying attention to what I'm doing, but I've made hollandaise thousands of times in my life. You know, I mean, just so many times over and over and over again. But I think back to, you know, um, when I learned how to do it and how many times I screwed it up and how difficult and how much concentration it took. And it's just, a, it's in my opinion, it's like a, a more of a craft because it's just perfection through practice. Yeah. It's all it is, is just per- per- perfection through practice. Now there is a, a just like a carpenter, mm-hmm. you know, is a craftsman, but there is artistry involved in it. Right. But, but for something to be truly art, you know, and yeah. only art. Right. It has to what? What does it have to do? It has to invoke them. Mm. Em- it has to invoke emotion. Yeah. And all emotions. Yeah. Most people can't get, if you're cooking, you stop on happy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you, don't, you don't want sorrow. Yeah. Or, sure. or, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, like, yeah. Well, like, you yeah. might when the plate's done. Uh, yeah. yeah. When that's empty. Um, it's, it, and that's an interesting thing. There's a um, uh, chef, uh, Heston Blumenthal. He's a British chef. He had a restaurant called the Fat Duck. And uh, he did a Christmas dinner and like one of the courses. I remember reading about this. I can't remember if it was the first course or the last course, whatever, but it was like a wafer. And mm. it, was supposed to represent like the birth of Christ mm. and it is so they've fed it to everybody and it's was supposed to taste the way a newborn baby smells. <laughs> that's so that's transcends food, right? That's yeah. beyond food. That's crazy. Um, yeah. A, a couple years ago I ate at, um, uh, Blue Hill at Stone Barn. Oh, wow. Really? best dining experience of my life and i was so sick too i got i don't know if i got food poisoning or if i was having a panic attack or if i was like (laughs) just sick but like i was sick like stomach nauseous the whole thing like kind of the day before and then the day of like it was weird because there was a snowstorm and the restaurant got closed for the day we had reservations and they were like but we can put you in tomorrow so like we had to extend our hotel and the set and the other and yeah um it's like 22 courses um that is wow. that's a whole nother when you when you when you eat at a place like that i don't know if you have or not like at 11 madison or yeah. you know any of these types of places um when you eat a meal like that it it goes beyond food i mean the amount of artistry and creativity and yeah. and attention to detail but then also like whimsical thinking yeah that goes into something like that that's when food becomes art yeah. And I don't know, and this isn't a dig on anybody because I, I include myself into this is like, I don't know if there's anybody in central New York that really is on that level. Um, or, yeah. or, and, and it's not even about, um, you know, wanting to be on that level or the desire or, or putting in the hard work or anything. These are people that are so smart. Yeah. And so advanced um, uh, that they could they could have been wildly successful at anything. It's like thinking about like if Elon Musk decided to be a chef. Right. That's Rene Renzepi. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's a whole nother. You're almost like, why are you wasting your <laughs> your brain on this? But but the thing is, is that guys that do that, that go on that level are they're not because they end up. 
mm. coming up with these like revolutionary ideas that do change the world. Um, uh, Daniel Barber yeah. is, I mean, yeah. I, you know, I mean, right. everybody knows, right? Everybody that's into this knows that that guy, I mean, there's foods that you eat that exist because of him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Dan is the one that first, like, that's the way that I ever heard of Klaus Martens. And then, you know, Cody Dedeshu, who was at 11 Waters, uh, you know, three, four years ago. Yeah, when, when it opened. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, he did, we did some tasting thing there with Michael John Haggerty when he was there and, uh, he set it up and Cody would like came out and he would like presented like this bread and it was like, this is grain from Klaus Martins, you know? And I was like, holy fuck. Like, you know, this, like no one else in Syracuse, you know, it's right there. Right. Exactly. It's New, like 60 miles away from yeah. there. And, um, the closest I've ever gotten to uh, Blue Hill is I was in New York City one day. It was the first time I'd ever gone to New York City like by myself. It's like meeting a girl. Um, like uh, she flew in from like Cincinnati and like we were, you know, whatever. Anyways, um, my brothers lived down there. So, uh, but it was the first time I'd like gone into the city by myself. Usually I was with family or somebody. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I spent the whole day just doing the things in New York City I wanted to do. And I went to uh, Ivan Orkin's, you know, ramen shop. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Ivan Ramen. And, and uh, you know, then I, like, wandered over to this, like, cat cafe coffee shop mm. and, um, you know, sat there and did some shit. And then I, like, wandered over to, like, Washington Square Park. And, you know, right over there by NYU is Blue Hill in the city. And um, I tried to see if I could get like a reservation or something, and I could, obviously I couldn't. Yeah. Uh, but I took a picture of like the front door, you know. And uh, <laughs> um, but the closest I think we have in the closest we do have in that space outside of maybe the Finger Lakes and like you know in like the immediate Syracuse area. So probably we can get that if we go down to like Ithaca, um, uh, you know, arguably Tim and you know Hardeman. And Utica, you know, the Finger Lakes, you know, if we go out, you know, to, towards Rochester. The closest we get is St. Urban, you know. Jared yeah. Jared is doing... I which, mean, which uh, I've eaten there once, and yeah. I mean, just the people that were eating there, yeah. I was like, wow, this is yeah. every Syracuse celebrity that there is. I mean, like, yeah. Bayheim's right here, <laughs> and, you know... Uh, yeah. Alexander, you know, uh, Alexander Catalano, right. Tom, Tom Alexander, whatever his name is, sitting next to me. And yeah. then like somebody, I'm like, holy crap. And that was probably the best dining experience that I've had in Syracuse. Yeah. And it's super sad because they were like on the precipice, right? Like yeah. they were about to explode. They were exploding. And then all this stuff happened. And I don't, I don't know what's happened. What's I become of that. Good. Are they? I don't. I hope that they are. I mean, I don't want to say that they're doing well because I don't know. If but they've been able to like maintain and like do some change visions and do do some different stuff. He started like during the orange shutdown. He started doing like the croquettes. Like your their takeout is you get this like really high end, essentially Dutch oven that your food for two or four people comes in and you pay for it. And then if you return it, you get your deposit back. If not, you keep it. You know, no. that's how no. he's doing it. Um. We went there like a uh, year and a half ago, maybe. I don't know. A, you know, a while ago. Um, last year. And uh, we went for dinner. And there's very few restaurants that I'll go in where like I'll put down, you know, like if I make a reservation that it's Eat Local New York. 
and just because I don't think a lot of people know uh, about it. But um, there was one of them I wanted them to know. Uh, and so – and they wound up and we, we ordered like their three-course and like the ch- a cheese plate. And Jared wound up sending out one of everything on the menu that night. And it was just phenomenal. And then we went for our anniversary dinner back in October. And, um, I mean, we we literally sat down and I just said – and there's a few restaurants that will go in and I'll say – like when they take the order, I'll say whatever they think I should have. You know, I'll do that at like Eden. I'll do that at Defi if I can, and I'll do that at Amano. Right. And um, and uh, so we did that that night for our anniversary dinner. And when, so we just we literally said like we want a bottle of wine that doesn't go over three hundred dollars, and we want for dinner whatever Jared thinks that we should have. And they were like, well, that's good because he already has like <laughs> yeah, he already he, he already picked yeah. for you. <laughs> they, were, you know, they were like, he's he's actually cooking your meal for you. Uh, and I was like, holy fuck. And it was like it was just it was unbelievable. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny because I don't really know. I don't know. him. Like, I, I don't know anything about him. I don't think yeah. he wasn't like he's from Syracuse, I'm assuming. I but believe, yeah. he wasn't like a Syracuse chef. No, I think he left before he was in like the food scene. I forget all of his story, but I know he was in like big restaurants like Noma or something like that. Yeah. And if you Google him, the first things that pop up are like stories of like articles on Eater of like he was let go from some rest, some big restaurant and he like cut the cable. Yeah, I read all that. Like, whatever. That's cool, man. I know. Exactly. I'm I'm like, fucking hey, man, that's (laughs) awesome. Uh, And, you know, there's there's certain chefs like I don't want like I don't want to get to know them too well. Like, um, you know, I've, I don't want to know any chefs. No, I'm, I'm yeah. playing, but like, you know, no, I get what you're yeah. saying though. Like just, just do your thing, man. Like, right. Be you. I've hung out with Alex a few times, uh, during you know, all this quarantine shit. We've had him come into Gearhars and do like cooking videos and, and, you know, um, and I, and I don't really want to get to know him all that. Like, I don't want to one day become friends with Alex from Amano because um, I don't want to become too familiar with somebody to the point where I like start to lose a little bit of like, like their food becomes familiar. Right. Like when I go to, when I, when we go to Amano and I say, they take the, when I say whatever Alex thinks I should have, he usually sends out like four or five other items. And I don't know anything about food. When the first time we went to um, St. Urban, as we were leaving, Jared had like, as because everything is so perfectly timed there. As we were leaving, he had timed it so like he like walked out of the kitchen and perfectly met me at like the station as we were getting right. ready to walk out the door. And he was like, "How was everything?" And I said, "I'm so sorry you had to put that much effort into what you did tonight for me." <laughs> you know, I was like, "Obviously, <laughs> like uh, whatever." Right. <laughs> I was like, "Obviously, everything was f- amazing," but. I don't know any, like, I don't know enough to fully appreciate what he did. You know, and that's, it's funny because I, I, what I appreciate when I go out to eat and, and there's, there's a lot of different, um, reasons for people to go out to eat. And I think that, you know, that gets lost on the everyday person. Like when I go out to eat, like sometimes I just want Tully's tenders. Right. right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not that worried about it. I eat normal food too. I probably eat worse (laughs) than most people. Um, but when I go to a place like that, like my expectation is, is that 
number one, that everything's delicious. Obviously, service is a huge portion of it, and they they killed it. Um, FLX table. I haven't yeah. been. Um, go yeah. amazing another great just cool idea great service great and in really cool atmosphere um you know obviously pre-covid you were sitting if you had four people you're sitting with you know six other people or yeah. eight other people that you don't know but it's all one table and they really make it interactive for everybody and it was really nice but what i want to do is sit down and be served something that i don't 100 percent understand yeah and you know, for me, that's that's not a small task. Yeah. Right. You know, because I know a lot about food. Um, it's kind of. It, but when I get stumped and I'm just like, what is this? Like, yeah. what is this hmm. technique or what is this ingredient? When when people get me on an ingredient, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> um, FLX table is a good example of that. And it wasn't that I didn't know the ingredient, but I didn't know that you could eat it. Hmm. And it was um, tiger lilies. Mm. Really? Yeah, the 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 petals off the yeah. of tiger lilies, and then they used the roots in like a risotto that had a bunch of different stuff in it. And like, I wow. mean, they're ditch lilies. Yeah, right. Who eats that? Yeah. I've got a million of them growing in my yard. Like, huh. it, I didn't even know that that was a an edible option. And then upon some research, it uh, the whole plant at different stages of the year is edible. Wow. And so then you start to think like, wow. Okay, foraging, you know, what do you think of when you think of foraging? You think of like morel mushrooms right. and, you know, uh, not killing yourself. Trying not to <laughs> kill yourself. Um, but you don't think like, hey, man, probably half the stuff in my backyard is edible. Yeah. And it, and, but it's like kind of so low brow. Yeah. That if you use it in fine dining, it's high brow. <laughs> it's like, now I'm paying a hundred dollars to eat ditch lilies. This is awesome, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just somebody knows more than you. Yeah, is what sure. it comes down to, and like that's what I like. You know, that's I yeah. think for me the the meal that I had at Blue Hill at Stone Barn was like, wow, these people know way so much more than I know, yeah. and that's and that's really what you know when you think. Yeah. You're when you think you're, you know, you're hot shit and then somebody knocks <laughs> you down a peg. Like, I like that when I go out to eat. Like, I want somebody to show me something I don't didn't yeah. know existed. And it, it could be, hmm. it could be, you know, a, 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 you know, roadside tamale place in Southern California, whatever. Yeah. Or it could be, you know, Blue Hill Stone Bar. It could be the highest end thing ever. But if you're, right. if, if it shows me something I didn't know about, that's, that's what like kind of turns me on. I hate to reference this movie because, you know, you're a chef and we're, you know, it's a food podcast, right? But, the, you know, the movie Chef, I mean, have you seen it with John Favreau? Yeah, well, yeah. I watched it once a couple of years ago. I mean, I think, and maybe it is for some industry people, but for non-industry people, like non-cooks or chef, it's chefs, it's like, wow, that's, you know, that's what it's like, you know, like that's the true passion, and uh, which may or may not be accurate. But I think like the happiness and like the passion of food that like is exemplified in that movie. Uh, no matter if it's that roadside tamale place or if it's blue Hill, uh, when you find somebody who has that sort of like passion for food, um, for like actually preparing food and knowing it's good and putting it out there, when you find that in whatever varying degree, that's invaluable. 
You know, that's, right. that's kind of the artistry I think that, like that I think of. Absolutely. And the, the thing that sucks about it is that it's so easy to lose that mm-hmm. even if you, and not even to lose it because, you know, I've definitely been in points in my career. COVID's a great example, you know, of what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Like I, this isn't what I want to do. This isn't what I worked so hard for. This isn't the best food I can put out. This yeah. isn't, you know, these people don't appreciate my skill set, <laughs> you know, and then you get in your own head and you start, have to reevaluate. And yeah, mm. it's also, it's, it's hard to, um, yeah, you know, move away uh, from that and, and, and to, to get your, to get your head back in the right space. Yeah. I'm just going to get a little bit more. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a, tr- it's a tricky, tricky kind of balancing act between, you know, especially if you don't own a restaurant, you know, where in, yeah. in, in some respects, it's, it's probably harder for chefs that do own restaurants because then you're just battling yourself against customers. Right. Yeah. And, mm. and, but when you're, when you don't own a restaurant, now you've got, now you've throw ownership into the mix and you have to decide what direction to go and you can really lose yourself in that pretty easily. I, um, I told you off air we were doing that show with uh, Tim from Buried Acorn and Keith Willett Ferment, and uh, you know when we were filming it last weekend, I was or whenever it was, I was like asking them, "All right, why are we doing this?" You know, in my head, I'm I'm constantly going to how am I? How are you going to make a dollar from it? Right. You know, if I put out a Facebook post for a client, if I put out a Facebook post, it's like, all right, you know, is this building brand? Am I going to get a customer? Am I going to get somebody who likes me? You know, whatever the case is. So as I asked them, I was like, well, what's the point of doing the show? Is it you're trying to get more people to like directly buy beer from you? Are you, you know, trying to like start a new, what is it? And Tim was, Tim said, we're just trying to do something like that's funny and fun just to get our mind off. There's something we want to do. And, uh, that's somebody that actually likes what they do. Right. But they also live in a world where they like what they do, but they also do what they do to make a living. Yeah. And so that they don't get to do exactly what they like. Yeah. And that's the hard thing is like, you know, and you get this all the time. Well, you you know, you must love what you do. Well, like, I don't know, 5% of the time I love what I do. I mean, I love cooking. I love the hospitality industry. Yeah. Um. I, I, I like the people. I like all that. But, like, I don't – what I like doesn't pay a bill. It's what the customer – what I think the customer's expectation of the restaurant is. Yeah. What the expectation of ownership is, whether that has to do with – actually the food that you're serving or how profitable it is or whatever. Um, and it's like I said, it's like, it's, it's nice to have an outlet for that. I'm sure for these guys that are brewers, like, yeah, they, yeah. I mean, I'm not super familiar with either one of their, you know, beer lines, but buried acorn yeah. makes great beer. And, but they, they make the same recipes all the time. Right. They don't get a lot of time to, just go off and do yeah. whatever they want. And so this is probably a great experience for them to get back yeah. into that. Mike Mint Mintier from uh, IBU had said that in the past, you know, he was, they let me attend one of their brewers, like brewery meetings, like the brewer, New York state brewers associations. 
And, um, and you know, he had said that in like this meeting that they had had with like 30 of them at WT Bruce or no, was it Willow Rock? But he was saying, you know, listen, we all are buying the same fucking hops that our customers want. The West Coast, we're all making the super <laughs> yeah. hazy, juicy, whatever IPA, even though we all want to be drinking, we all want to be making this and wish people that were drinking that. And, uh, but we're doing it because that's what customers want, what customers, you know, what, what is paying the bills. And, uh, and a brewer is a great example because, like, you go and you get, like, like, I like beer as much as the next guy, but, like, I like that juicy IPA. So do I. <laughs> I like it. It's good. It tastes good. But I also don't make beer all day and drink beer all day. And, like, those guys can drink, man. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, I know. Um, you think you can drink. Yeah. Don't mess with brewers. <laughs> Tim was, we did a vid, we did a the Thanksgiving video and we had Tim come in as just like, we were trying to do like an off uh, full Thanksgiving day meal. And my hope was, my intention was to have like an eight hour long cooking video for, we did it for Gearhart. So like you'd turn it on at, you know, nine and still be playing at five. And right. we were going to have D'Onofrio making an entire Thanksgiving meal from start to finish. And after editing, it was like an hour and a half long. Um, <laughs> but that's, a, that's the only interesting things that happen. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> right. a lot of it was just like quietly there chopping, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but we had Tim come in and we were like, all right, well, we should have like during the day, you're going to have a couple drinks. So one of the things we had Tim come in from Buried Acorn and just all they did was just make like drink a beer and talk. But at like 11 a.m., Tim, you know, fucking pounded an entire beer in a gulp, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and it's it's crazy. I went to, um, where was it? Uh, BCTC, Belgian Comes to Cooperstown. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. You know, at, at uh, Oma Gang. And that's a really cool event. Uh, hopefully it comes back. I would highly recommend it to anybody that's into mm. beer at all or just cool shit. Yeah. Because it's fucking cool. Um. But you get to talking to these these brewers, and they're like, "I'll have a beer with you." And I was like, "Man, you talked to two hundred people today. <laughs> like, how are you alive? Like, you're just like, you yeah. know." And it, it's 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 strange. I could never do it. I can't drink like that. Like, yeah. I just I, I don't have it in me. All right, physically. Yeah. Um. The uh, I was gonna send a quick text. Yeah, no worries. Uh, there's something else I want to talk about. Oh, you know, the other thing was um. I think that the other opportunity for, for chefs um, right now is in the, the consulting sphere. Um, I did a little bit of it. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because now you're, now you're in a, a time and place where everybody wants to have, or really needs to have like a chef created yeah. menu. But not everywhere can afford a chef on their payroll. Right. Um, and uh, I did a bunch of work with uh, Lock One Distillery. That's cool. Um, they had closed, you know, during the pandemic. Then they were doing bottle sales and whatever. And then they reopened and they were just doing snacks and stuff. They didn't have anybody in the kitchen. And uh, through a couple mutual friends, I kind of got connected with them and got their their pizza um they they did a lot of pizzas and stuff before, uh, you know, when they first opened. That's what, kind of what they did. Super cool space. Yeah. Really awesome people. Yeah. Um, and they've got a, a metal fabrication business. Um, mm, okay. the family does. Uh, that 
so they actually built that whole space out. I don't know if you've been in there or not, but it's, uh, I did an interview with, um, I forget his name. Uh, I want to say Darren, but I know that's not it. Um, anyways, one of them back right, right when Q's juice, that whole controversy. Right. Yeah. Which I have a bottle of it unopened. Yeah. It's, it's, I saw it. Oh, it was it reminded me of it. But, um, I think that that's a, a good opportunity for chefs to, you know, where there's places like that, that, you know, they can't put a guy like me on their payroll. Yeah. I mean, they can't, then they shouldn't, you know, realistically they shouldn't. Um, but they do want that, that chef's touch and they do want the advice of a, a, of somebody that knows what they're doing and say, Hey, buy this, buy that, here are your recipes, here's your book. Yeah. You know, now execute it. it you know, I'll come in in a month and, and we'll see, we'll see where we are. And I think that that's a good opportunity for, for any chefs out yeah. there. It's funny, you know, uh, we're really, we're really trying to make some money, uh, you know, as a consultant, uh, you know, what do you think the, the first thing that we should do is, well, you should probably not hire me because I'm a huge waste of money. Um, but, but I think that there's a, if done correctly and responsibly, yes. it's a good alternate income, like a, a secondary income for chefs where you can spend your personal time. It doesn't take a whole, yeah. You know, if you have the right client, if you've got a good relationship and everything, it's a, it's a good opportunity for chefs to kind of be heard a little bit more. Listen, it, it really is invaluable because there are so many fucking people that open a restaurant that get a loan and that maybe they have some sort of an idea, but they really don't know. And kind of going back to people that are wasting money on like bad marketing, there's people that are wasting money on bad cooks. Yeah, or um, or in, you know, it's the the sad part about it is that ninety percent of those people aren't wasting money on bad cooks. They're wa- they're they're spending money on people that aren't qualified to actually do the job. So I ended up hiring a girl there, and um, I interviewed a bunch of people. And I mean, I interviewed people I know mm-hmm. um, and passed on them. Yeah, because it was it was you know. You're not gonna. You don't. You don't want to do this. It's right. a. It's a one, maybe two person kitchen. If it was jam and busy, you could maybe put. Maybe you could put three people in this tiny kitchen. Yeah. Um. And uh, it's interesting because it, it was. You know the 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 girl that I hired. Everything I showed her how to do, she did it perfect. Uh, you know every everything. It, I gave her all the tools. And she, I, I have no doubt in my mind. I, I haven't talked to them in a while. I don't know if she's still there. I hope that she is. And she was really cool. She had all the skill set to to run the kitchen and make it function. But there's no way that she, I, I don't think she could have gotten from point A to point B. I got her to point B. She's got to take it from there. Yeah. But it's that it's the it's the financial side of it. It's the you know menu design. It's the menu mix. It's the costing of it. It's the recipes and the the testing and all that kind of stuff that takes somebody with a lot of experience to to really be able to execute well. Yeah. Um. And if you're if you these small places, what ends up happening to them is they find somebody that's pretty good. Yeah. You know, but that person probably doesn't write anything down. Mm-hmm. They don't have a system. If they get hit by a bus or walk out or quit or get fired or whatever happens to them, then you're back at square one. Right. But not, not a lot of people go back to square one. You know, a lot of these places. Yeah, that's the big problem. I mean, I do struggle with the, the with the idea that not every place that I walk into is supposed to 
wow me with their culinary experience. I mean, every place is supposed to put out edible food that's hot, that doesn't get people sick. You know, obviously, and it should be it good. Tastes good, right? Right. You know, um, and it's amazing to me how many places exist in Syracuse and that have existed for a while that don't tick all those boxes. Um, but I mean, obviously, that's like squid. Like that's like that's the baseline, right? I mean, I, I can't. I don't want to. Ex- I'm not going to expect to go out to eat every night and get like uh, experience I would get at the Sherwood or a Mono or Eden or whatever. Um, but you still have to put out good food, right? Um, but there are a lot of these places where you know they bring on person A and it's person A's menu and it's person A's expertise and you know it's their way of doing things and their flavor profile and whatever it is. And then they leave and person B comes in, but it's still person A's art. You know, it's like it's like me trying to repaint a Picasso. Right. It's never going to look like a fucking Picasso. And, you know, beyond that is the Sherwood's a great example of this. And, and you know, the Sherwood and, and what I bought into there and I think – you know what whoever the next long term chef is there needs to buy into there is that it's not about a place like that isn't about the chef it's about the sherwood right so like how do you maintain the quality the expectation the classics but then stay relevant as times change right so you know there's different places for different things take uh defi you take Cody out of the equation of Defi, close it. Yeah. Right. I mean, I would imagine, yeah. I, I don't want to speak for the, the people invested in that right. or anything yeah, like yeah. that, but I mean, that's in my opinion, what I can tell from the outside. I haven't eaten there, but what I could tell from the outside looking in is that he's the heartbeat of the place. Yeah. I mean, not every, not every place needs a yeah. person to be the heartbeat of the place. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, if you know, Rebecca and I are going to, they know you're right. They don't, um, but there's still, unless you're going with like a, uh, I don't know, I don't know, unless I'm going to like through like a Tully's, I can tell the difference between, you know, let's say, and I can't tell the difference between these places, but let's just say the difference between Tussauds and Dominic's. Right. You know, it's the same extended family. They're both Italian restaurants, but I can, you know, arguably I'm going to tell the difference between A and B. Right. Um. And again, it, it, I struggle with that, and 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 not expecting to be wowed at every, you know, every restaurant that I enter. You know, um, you know, at some point you kind of have to understand that it's just, you know, I have to understand that, you know, listen, it's food. It's just, you know, it's going to fill you up and you know be hot, and that's really all that you can expect from it. Right. Well, and I mean, if you if you own a restaurant and it's a restaurant, and I'm not talking about, you know. It's one thing if it's a bar that has food. Yeah. Right. Whatever. Right. I, it's mozzarella sticks. Yeah. It's fine. Cisco. Yeah. Bing, bang, boom. <laughs> you know. Right. But if you're actually trying to put food, then you should be at least in, uh, wowed by it a little bit. You should be satisfied. You should be, whether it's a big portion or, I mean, uh, you know, there's there's so many different things right. um, that, that, uh, that do it, but... Like a, a great example is um, a pizza. Yeah. Right. Like a pizza's food on point. Right. Phenomenal. On point. I don't know who the chef is there. That's a, that is a really good point, actually. Cause I, yeah. That, uh, yeah. You know, That's it doesn't true. matter. 
And if yeah. the chef that's out there that is listening to this, that's the chef of a pizza, like you're killing it. I should find out who it is. You're killing it. Yeah. But, and, but like, <laughs> and, and I, and I hope it's, you know, that's a great chef. Yeah. Whoever's doing that, whoever's, whoever's executing that, because it seems to me as though if that person changed, they've set it up in a way that they don't need to be there. The same is true at Alto and Otro. Right. Exactly. Great guys working in the kitchens. Yeah. No doubt they're executing it, but the system is there for it to be executed mm. by people that care. You got to have to have people that care. You still have to have people that are talented. You still have to have these things, but it's mm. not about one person. And th- yeah. that makes, you know, maybe it's just about the, maybe it's about the culture. It's super about the, it, it, the culture is definitely very important. Um, I would also say that the systems are important. Yeah. I mean, you were, when you work in a, on a line and you work in a kitchen, you work in a factory. Yeah. It's a machine. It's about getting the same thing out to the customers every single time so that it's indistinguishable of who made it. Right. Yeah. And so in these places like a pizza, I would say that probably a lot of their success has to do with their systems. Yeah. Um, obviously a great vision, obviously great ingredients. Um, you know, a lot of care goes into it, but also their systems have made it so that it is streamlined in a way that it's consistent. Yeah. Um, you know, chefs play a part in that. Like it's your job to create those things, but to truly be successful in this industry, in this realm, you know, I'm 35 years old. Like when I'm 55 years old, if I'm still a chef, I don't want to be standing in the kitchen every day. Right. And if I have to, then I didn't do my job right. <laughs> you know, in my, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, mm. it's a, it's a, it's a tricky thing. But. Would you want to be standing in the kitchen at 55 if you owned it? Not on the line. Yeah. You know, I think, um, for several reasons. Number one, I, you know, I've got a lot of other things I want to do with my life other than stand in the kitchen for the rest of it. And although I do love it and whatever, um, it takes so much time and energy that you don't have a whole lot for other things. Yeah. And I would like to have that time for other things. Um, and I think, you know, for me, you know, being a chef owner, is desirable because that's the route that I have available to me. Yeah. But at a certain point in time, when do you just become an owner? Right. Um, and when mm. do you kind of, you know, find the right people, let the reins go and say, Hey, you're my GM. Yeah. You're my chef. It's the same thing, you know, with the, the GM it's, it's, there's so much focus on the food side of restaurants where, you know, a, a bad service can ruin a good meal. Yeah. But it is very hard for excellent food to make up for bad service. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it doesn't, re, I mean, if you got truly bad service and you were served a, an excellent, you know how good that meal would have to be for you to overlook terrible service? Yeah. But you can have mediocre food. And if the service is on point, It'll you're going to go, okay. Yeah, that's a really good point. I just had this conversation actually with a <clears throat> friend that's not in the industry whatsoever, but had a terrible ex- uh, service experience at a restaurant last night for New Year's Eve. And, you know, they were out of a lot of stuff for food wise because <clears throat> they had sold out. They got slammed. They sold 
300 lobster tails by 6 p.m. Um, but the like the waitress handed him the menu and was like, just, you know, half of it's gone. And he was like, well, then why are you giving me the menu? <laughs> you know, uh, it was just bad, bad service and the food. He was like, it was okay, but we're never going back there. Right. Um, but that, that situation handled properly. Yeah. It could be a different story. Yeah. Um, do you think restaurants are too big nowadays? Uh, I mean, even outside of like a COVID world, like even like in January of this year and before, do you think they're too big? Do you think they should be smaller and focus on like their niche? So I, I think that that's, Yes and no. I mean, it, it really, it really depends. I, you know, I think about my favorite restaurants that I've ever been to, my favorite restaurants in the world, you know, and then my favorite restaurants in Syracuse and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, um, great example is like the fish fryer, right? They right. took like, they took like the upstate New York fish fry model mm-hmm. and made it awesome. Really good. I love their food and they're super focused. And it's a cool little spot. It's little. Um, And so reasons for restaurants being smaller, number one, less staff. Um, Number two, you can focus. When you can focus on specific things, you can execute them better. Um, Number three, you don't, if you're focused, then people don't go to your restaurant that don't want to eat your food. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the Mexican <laughs> restaurant with the hamburger on the menu doesn't have to exist. It's called a hamburguesa. Okay. Is that what it, that's the technical, <laughs> that's what they call it in Mexico. Um, <laughs> um, you know, so when you, when that's a win, 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 right? It's a yeah. win for the, it's a win for the employees. They know what they're doing. They can focus. They can make good food. It's good for the employer. They, you know, they can focus their attention and it's good for this, the customer. You know what you're going to get. If I go to a fish fryer, I'm going to get shrimp Great fish, yeah. boy and right. you know, I love it. It's awesome. And it's some good beer. Um, mm. so yeah, I mean, I think restaurants, new restaurants opening up and like being small and stuff like that are, is, is, probably the way of the future but i think that there is still a world in which the big sherwood ends yeah you know those types of places exist but i think maybe they already all exist yeah you know balthazar in new york city i don't know if you've ever been there before but big brasserie yeah bustling tables this far you know this far apart from each other but he's crammed in three meals a day yeah but they but they're focused on french food it's very good um you know, they exist, but you'd also be kind of crazy to open a place like that. No one, if you took the Sherwood Inn, when Bill Eberhard bought it, it was going to be torn down, you know, 50 mm. years ago. Wow. If you took a building like that and wanted to renovate it yeah, and make it into a restaurant, I mean, it'd cost you... $25 million. Oh, yeah. There's no way it'd be, it'd be worth it. financially irresponsible to try and do that because it, it just wouldn't work. So I think, I think that you're going to see smaller restaurants and I think that's a good thing. And I think that the, the new market is, you know, there's always going to be the sit down, eat in, you know, restaurants, whether they're casual, fine dining, every, every level of the spectrum. I think like the Applebee's, Chili's, that kind of stuff is going to go by the wayside because just why when you could eat at Chipotle or any right. number of QSR places, which 
are essentially the same thing, just with limited service. Yeah. Which, why? Um, but I think the, the virtual restaurant, ghost restaurant kind of sphere is something that you're going to see start to take hold in, in smaller metropolitan areas, Syracuse, Rochester, Albany. Yeah. Which is already in big cities. Right. Um, if, if I was going to invest into a restaurant or, or, you know, uh, come on board to a startup right now, it would probably be in that space mm-hmm. in like the ghost restaurant idea. Yeah. Um, but that's today. I mean, yeah. tomorrow that could change, could you know, I mean, the industry is, is rapidly changing, I think. And we don't know what public perception is going to be once things open back up. Yeah. I mean, again, I think, you know, coming back to, uh, it, it's it's going to take a long time for it to go back. Yeah. Um, even if everything opened tomorrow, people wouldn't, and they said no mask, COVID's gone, you know, whatever people would still be freaked out and they wouldn't necessarily go running back into restaurants like they were before. Yeah. And the whole idea of having a, a restaurant that only does delivery, the, the, the caveat on that is that you have to do it really well. Yeah which has been a downfall for a lot of restaurants at this time because there's places that don't didn't operate in that at all. Right. They didn't do any to go business. They're not set up for it. Yeah. Um, that their food doesn't travel well. You know, if you're a, a sushi place, why would I buy to go sushi from you when I could go to Wegmans who's already figured it out, who already has the containers who all, yeah. you know what I mean? Like they're there to go sushi it's probably better than your to-go sushi, even though your in-house sushi is better than their to-go sushi. So, Yeah, I do wish that more restaurants would focus on instead of just – and I understand it, but I just – I wish that more restaurants would focus on instead of just like, all right, we have to get a sale. Let's package it and get it out the door. I wish that they would focus more on user experience right. um, during all of this. you know. And I think of like um, Dan Seeley. I mean, listen, at the Cider Mill – you know, he's told, you know, his, his uh, probably the best meal I've had during COVID really? cider mill. I love that restaurant. It's a, it's an yeah. awesome restaurant. I don't go enough, but they do a great job. Yeah. The hospitality at the cider mill is probably what I think. I mean, the food is great, but the hospitality there is real. I mean, when like maybe two years ago, two and a, I, don't know, I forget how long over a year ago when the article had just broke and I had asked them to join the eat local card and they had said no. And, uh, and I think they're just like not a discount place. And, um, you know, dinosaurs said that to me, they're like, we join in a heartbeat. We just don't offer discounts. And, um, but they had turned, they had said no to the eat local card, but a month or so later, I, the article came out that they had had that staff that like general manager that stole 80 grand from them. I mean, talk about Dan Seeley too, being a guy that has had some some rough luck yeah. at, at that location. I mean, diamond caterings also yeah. really good catering company. I mean, I can't comment on if they're the best in yeah. the area or not because I've haven't personally used them, but from right. what I hear, they're, they're top notch, yeah. but man, between like that, the ice damage and the, you know, all that stuff. And then the guys yeah. you know, stealing money from them and all that. But anyways, you were saying, so we had had this like meetup group, uh, di- like monthly dinner group. It was like me and 12 uh, married or widowed women over 60 that would go to dinner every month at a different restaurant. And it was cool. Cause I could go out, I could say to a local restaurant, I'm going to show up with like, sometimes we'd have 30 and I'd be like, listen, we're going to show up for 30 people on an off night 
They're all going to order, like they're going to each going to spend at least 30 bucks. And I really enjoyed doing that. And so one of our first dinners was, um, at dime, it was at a cider mill and I had put a face, I'd done like a public, we had the private meetup group, but right. then we would post them on like a Facebook event. And we did that on the Facebook event. We said, support the cider mill dinner. And I put like the article and shit and we packed the restaurant out for them. I mean, they had like, I mean, like every table was reserved twice that night and um, they put us in like their back, like little 20 person room and Dan and Teresa were there, came in and, you know, said hi and thank you and yada, yada, yada. And so, you know, I have, I have really great respect for them. Um, But uh, I forget the point of talking about, uh, oh, they're just, but so during COVID, uh, like I think within the past couple months, Dan said to his staff, and this is a story I got secondhand, but Dan said to his staff, uh, we're not as busy for dining. We can, you know, you can be furloughed or uh, if you want, we'll open up delivery that, and you'll become the delivery drivers. And, right. You know, the waitress started doing it and started making more money than they were in normal times because, you know, they were out there hustling. I mean, there was. Right. Now you know, you're now you, you're answering the phone. You're selling to people. Right. You're getting them, you know, wine. Yeah good food packaged well. Right. And that's, you know, the sad part about this is the, the, you know, the restaurants that, that are going to fold because of this and the, you know, people that are going to lose their jobs and all that. But the, the, one of the good things about it is the innovation that's going to come from it from places like that, that go, okay, we're going to use our staff in a secondary way. We're going to keep them on staff and let's, let's figure out how to make this really good for people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Dan Hudson, you've said it all. <laughs> I guess. This is, yeah. is, uh, this is the longest podcast in eat local New York history. Really? I can talk at two hours and 15 minutes. Cool. And I'm thrilled with that. The camera shut off about 45 minutes ago. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> well, I have me back sometime, uh, yeah. and I'll let you know where I end up and, uh, yeah. maybe we can do something then. Where Kyle wants to do a setting where it's a podcast with four chefs. Okay. And like their back room one night. So I think we're going to try and set that up pretty soon. Yeah. Let me know. I'm, I'm open to it. And I think, you know, no matter where I land, I'm going to, uh, invest more time in myself and, and less time, but higher quality time in whatever restaurant I'm in. So this is the kind of stuff I want to do for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome, man. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Well, there it is, everybody. Thank you so much for checking out the Eat Local New York podcast. It really means a lot to us. We've been going strong here now for a couple of years with the podcast and just absolutely love it. We love being able to sit down and talk with chefs and restaurant owners and people in the industry and then introducing all of you to their story. Um, if you don't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram and then subscribe to our YouTube channel, We've got some pretty cool content that's going to be coming out, uh, some new shows, interesting shows that we're going to be releasing here in the next month or so, and we want you to be aware of everything we have going on here at Eat Local New York. Well, thank you so much for checking out the podcast. We're going to catch you next week on an episode of the Eat Local New York podcast. Mm-hmm.